You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai. Christmas, everybody. The GGTMC is on the air. Here we go. Rocking and rolling. A little Jingle Bell Rock this morning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As is always the case. I think we've... Have, have we opened the show like the last three or four years like that? I think we have. It seems yeah, like we... it's become a thing. You yeah. know, being the Hall and Oates of podcasting, it would <laughs> <Yes>. be <laughs> blasphemy and, yeah. and grinchy to do. Oh, there's the coffee telling me. Yeah. Get ready for liftoff. Not, not only that, but... You got the fact that this week we actually have like an almost like an Oats lookalike in one of the films. So <laughs> that's the truth, brother. <laughs> All right, so we are back, and this week we are talking. Or this week is our diabolic, I should say, DVD episode. DiabolicDVD.com. Go there for all your uh, well, tough to find DVDs and Blu-rays and region free. If you're region free, you can go over and get a lot of good stuff. Um, this week we are. It was Will's time to uh, program the episode. And uh, he brought it, brought it this week. <laughs> it's like one of those weird stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like everything we always talk about on every show is like in these two movies. <laughs> but uh, this week we were doing uh, Rabbit Dogs, uh, aka Kidnapped, um, nineteen seventy. Aka Kanye Arapiati. Yeah, nineteen seventy-four, uh, directed by one Mario Obama, and um, Miami Connection. <laughs> 1987, that magical year of 87. I'm telling you, I think 87 has more crazy action cinema <laughs> than possibly any other year. Because uh, every time we do, I mean, we, this is two weeks in a row we've done a film from 87. And uh, Yeah, it's true, man. Uh, Miami Connection, directed by one uh, Richard Park, or Wu Sang Park, uh, Dick Park to his friends. And uh, YK Kim was involved there, too, so... This should be interesting, guys, to say the least. <laughs> For those of you familiar with Miami Connection, I think you know where we're going with that. Um, okay, so that's what we're going to be covering. That's all of that. Large William, what have you been watching? Um, a fair bit. Well, let me see. Um, actually, yeah, I had a decent week, but then I thought, you know, I 
pretty busy, as we all. Life's busy, but um, um, I got a few things in. I got um, last week my boys for our weekly movie night. We did a few kind of shorter films, I guess you could say, Christmas specials. Uh, they picked one, I picked one. So their pick was Kung Fu Panda Christmas, which uh, which I was okay with, you know. Um, I still haven't seen Kung Fu Panda, oddly, but <laughs> we watched Kung Fu Panda Christmas. Um, it was pretty good, uh, you know. It's, it was a bit busy from an animation standpoint, some of the sequences. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think that's just the side of the times. But, you know, still still fun and... You know, uh, it worked out okay. Uh, and it was my pick, so I figured I'd drop the, the thunder on them, and we took the uh, the He-Man and She-Ra Christmas special, which was on Netflix since then. Nice. <laughs> so and my mom was here, so it was like the way back playback for her, seeing He-Man and that dude with the heart on his chest that plays the harp for She-Ra and with the mustache. And, and I had actually a pretty high honor because William goes, Daddy, that's you. And I said, well, you know, the guy looks the part, but I don't know, the dude doesn't really act the part. Right. It's always leaning against a tree playing a harp. So, you know, but mm. uh, it was pretty good, man. I haven't seen that in years, and, and I really love that. And, and, in fact, William proclaimed himself to be Skeletor. And when, when uh, oh, here comes, I got to open a baby gate. Hang on one second. <laughs> oh, I got a banana, water, books in my hand, hot coffee in my, I'm going to nice. nice. burn my dick with my coffee. <laughs> Well, I didn't know we were going there, but nice. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and I did. Oh, no. Well, that's what I get for laughing at my joke. I hadn't even seen to say you'd be dipping it in like a biscotti. (laughs) Um, Fuck. Spilled coffee all over the floor. Um, Oh, William likes Skeletor. And I I quite like when Skeletor can't help but be nice on Christmas. Yes. It's pretty good. Um, and of course, now whenever I hear Skeletor, I think of Metal Mikey. But, yes, of course. <laughs> uh, then I watched, uh, I was wrapping gifts, so I was trying to watch some documentaries, some things that either I'd seen or, you know, I could kind of engage with without, um, you know, without too much effort. And I watched uh, an ESPN 30 for 30, one that I'd been meaning to see for some time. And it was, I think you've seen this one. In fact, I'm almost certain you have. It was um, The Guru of Go, the Paul West had one about. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. The Loyola Marymount team with Bo Kimball and Hank Gathers and stuff, and it was really good, man. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. You know, it was a story. You know, back then it was back when I was really into basketball. I remember when uh, Bo got. I think I think I tried by the Clippers for some pick. You know, him shooting left-handed in, in memory to his uh, to his lady friend Hank Gathers. You know, it's the kind of stuff that you know the rich stories that you know are sometimes prevalent in. In sport, um, so I quite enjoyed it. Um, then we watched a Christmas story. It's my wife and I's favorite Christmas movie, and you know, a lot of people kind of have turned on it because it just gets so oversaturated. But it, it's almost like a pop song on the radio. I don't listen to the radio, so when I hear a catchy pop song, kind of stays fresh with me. And you know, I watch this once a year. I have for as long as I can remember. So. Right. You know, we we still must have loved it quite a bit, and it is it, it just got uh, put into the National Film Registry. So yes, yeah. yeah, that was very cool. Never heard of it. No, <laughs> <laughs> I still love, still my favorite scene in that film. I don't know if I've ever said this on the air. My favorite scene is when uh, Ralphie's mom calls the other mom to talk about where Ralphie learned oh. the fudge word, and the mom on the other end of the line is screaming and beating the kid makes me laugh. And I know maybe it shouldn't in today's time. <laughs> But it's like, what, what, what? 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. It me up every time, man. It's, it's so good, man. It's so good. Like, you know, like I said, I know it gets played a lot, but oh, I, I just think it's so perfect. I think it it's such a timeless film. Um, you know, like everything from, you know, the Santa, oh, oh, oh yeah. you know, using his boot to push Ralphie <laughs> down the fucking slide and, yeah. you know, the big snowsuit, the brothers waddling around and. It just the performances are perfect. I mean, like I said, it just it works for me. Um, and then I finished my week outside of movies for the show with uh, with a big blind spot for me, one I'd never seen, and you know I'd always heard good things about it. And you know, being uh, I'm cramming for for year end as far as first time watches, not not films from this year. I watched Chain, which was on Netflix Instant. Hmm. So. Uh, I, I quite enjoyed it. Uh, at first, you know, I had a hard time getting into it. It was a bit stiff. Alan Ladd, you know, I find sometimes some of the older guys are a bit too kind of stoic and noble and, and the way they're kind of framed in shots and stuff. They make yeah. a little too, I don't know, it, it's a little too stiff. But, you know, I really started getting into it. Van Heflin, you know, who's been on our show. Yes. Sam Cooper's gold or gold for Sam Cooper, whatever it is, fucking puts in an amazing performance in it. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, he's good, man. Oh, my God, everyone is in Palance. He's just like a shark in a cowboy hat. Oh, fuck, I love Palance in that movie so much. Yeah, he's really good in them and just really menacing. So it was it was a very good film, and it'll be one of the, the you know, in my top 30 first-time watches uh, when I do that list. So. Yeah, it, it's a classic. Oh. I mean, it's, it's old-school Western, but it's definitely a classic. I forgot one. I forgot to write in my book. Fuck. Oh, the last one I watched, actually, was one that will definitely be very high. On my first time watches, I was talking to Aaron, the Death Rattler, and uh, we were talking about stuff we hadn't seen because he's cramming in some really good stuff. Like he's watching Wild Bunch for the first time, uh, Lawrence of Arabia, The Graduate, Seven Samurai, a lot of heavy duty stuff. And one of the ones I told him, I said, you know, I'm I'm a pretty big Melville fan, but one that I, that's always eluded me is Army of Shadows. Oh yeah. And uh, holy fuck, what a film, man! That's yeah, a good one. I haven't. I, oh. I saw that ages ago, and I haven't seen it in forever. You know, I wouldn't mind doing it on the show. It is so fucking good. Like, I, it's one that I'm gonna grab the blue of. It's. It might might be my favorite Melville now. Nice. nice. I mean, it's it's really fucking good. Um, it's it's a it's a fascinating war film. You know, we always talk about watching war films from other countries, different perspectives, and. To see these French men and women and what they did, and just ice cold fucking ice water in their veins, man. Whew. So I know, I know Criterion has a DVD of it. I don't know if they put a Blu-ray out or not yet. But. I, I want to say they did, but maybe I'm wrong. I, I hope they did. It's I don't know. I'll have to look into that. But man, that's and that's also one of my favorite posters too. It's oh, yeah, a great it's awesome. poster. It's awesome. Super cool. So that was actually my week, man. It was it was a pretty solid week. Nice, nice. Good stuff. I'm getting a little bit of an echo, so if I sound a little garbled to you, let me know. I don't know if you're hearing it, but I'm hearing it on my end. I'm, so. I'm not. What, which, should we hang up? No, no, which is crazy because like every time you tell me you're hearing this echo, I never hear it on my end, and every time I hear it, you don't hear it, so I don't know what the <laughs> fuck uh, I... Steel, welcome to my world. <laughs> yes. All right. All right. All right. I still hear myself a little bit, but anyway. 
All right, so uh, I watched uh, Trekkies, which is on Netflix Instant Watch. I thought I'd seen this before. I think I watched like half of it and then turned it off and just never went back to it. So, because some of it seemed familiar. Trekkies, yeah, like I say, I thought I saw it, but uh, I did. I, I guess I'd watched half of it, like I said, and then I didn't get around to watching the rest of it. But I did, and uh, you know, it, it's it's fair. It's not great, but uh, it's it's okay. Um, it's just interesting that anybody loves anything that much. You know, you could say Trekkies are easy to pick on, uh, or the idea of it's easy to pick on maybe, but really, if you think about it, it's just a subculture of a million other things that people get obsessed with. Be it, be it sports. Yeah. Be it anything. Or anything. Yeah. Four Hound Weekend's a good example. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I agree with you. I find the older I get, I don't feel like I lose my passion for things, but Everything's in moderation because, quite frankly, you have so much on your plate, so many balls in the air as we become uh, adults. That, that You don't really have the room or time for as much passion and dedication. So it's interesting that some of these adults live their lives and they're still fucking, the fire still burns bright with them. Yeah. Well, they make it a family thing, too, which is interesting. Oh, yeah. So, you know. Um, <coughs> I then switched gears and watched... After porn ends. Now, these porn documentaries, they they come out, you know, you see them every now and then. We go through a rash of them and stuff. And most of them I've seen. No pun intended. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Most of them I've seen have been pretty okay. But this one, this one might be the best one I've seen. This one, this one's really, really good. I I recommend this. This is on Netflix Instant. And um, it's really good. They they, uh, interview some uh, pretty popular porn stars. Uh, Randy West is in there. Good old Randy nice. West. <laughs> Still working Randy West. Uh, and some other people uh, that if you're familiar with the genre, <laughs> you'll know them. Um, but, but what I like about this film is how they kind of treat the porn stars like people first. Some of them damaged. Some of them not so much. I'm still getting an echo like a son of a bitch. But anyway... Most porn documentaries, you know, they kind of look at the CD side. This looks at the CD side a little bit, but I like that, like, I can't remember the guy's name. Al Goldstein, maybe? The guy, that, I don't know what his name is. The guy that does ran Screw Magazine back in the day. He's always in all these things. Friend of John Holmes, blah, blah, blah. I like, he, he takes a an angle that's interesting to me. He says uh, that we don't treat our porn stars like we treat our pro athletes, you know. Like, our pro athletes are there for our entertainment, and then when they're gone, we look at them honorably because, you know, they're pro athletes, but porn stars who we've used to get off for the last 20 years <laughs> and used for those kind of reasons, which can be seen as healthy or blah, blah, blah. We just kind of look at them as like, oh, you fucking whore. Oh, you fucking piece of shit. Mm-hmm. He goes, it's, it's really weird how we judge porn stars, but we don't judge other people who we watch abuse their bodies in a different way. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, man, that's an interesting take on it. You know, that's, I never really even thought of it that way. <laughs> that we don't respect the porn stars so and of course you know not, not all porn stars are you know huge porn stars but you know you're talking about like you, when you're talking about randy west who's still working you're talking about sika who's in this film too uh you're talking about uh you know classic porn stars in some cases and and uh you know i guess you know depending on how you look at the genre or look at the world it is a seedy world but then again so's hollywood so not much different than that except they're fucking Hollywood just fucks off camera, right? Yeah, there's there's probably just as sorted uh, a story behind the scenes or off camera with Hollywood as there is with porn, that's for sure. Yeah, this porn just kind of lays it all out there like a roast beef sandwich. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as Loaf would know. <laughs> anyway, uh, so then I hit a, a couple blind spots. I hit a couple blind spots for me. 
because uh, I try to get as many in, you know, that I haven't seen. So I've watched one called uh, Lamora, A Child's Tale of the Supernatural. Nice. I've heard of that. I've always meant to check this out. Mm-hmm. So I checked it out. Um, it, it's pretty good. I tell you what, this is one of the most fucked up acting. This is this has some of the most fucked up acting I've ever seen in any movie ever. <laughs> and I've seen a lot of fucked up movies. <laughs> and I've seen some fucked up acting. We just watched Miami Connection this week. But this movie... Yeah. This movie, some of the choices in this movie will fucking blow your mind. Uh, the movie's good. I wouldn't say it's a great film, but it's definitely unique. And I think that's why it's got this kind of following it has. It's kind of a zombie slash vampire slash supernatural tale. It's good. It's, it's really good. It's very, very, it's ultra cheap, but uh, pretty impressive with some of the stuff they do. And some genuinely scary moments, I would say. Euro horror, no? Uh, I think it's I think it's American horror. I think. Oh wow! I always thought it was like a like a, a, a what's yeah. his name Franco or or one of these kind of guys like a I Spaniard mean, or something. No, it's directed by a guy named Richard Blackburn. Um, hmm. No, nah, yeah, no, it's it's American. It's also known as Lady Dracula. Um, but uh, yeah, it's an American film. I don't know. If, I mean, well, I mean, it was made in America. It says but it says California here. It says uh, Pomona. California is where it was shot, so, and I thought it was kind of it, it kind of looked to me like it was New Orleans, but uh, interesting. But uh, yeah, definitely check it out, man. It's it's interesting to say the least. And uh, it, uh, super cheap, like I said, watch it on uh, the uh, what a TCM Underground thing. Oh, nice. But uh, you know, it was HD. But uh, <laughs> this film was not. You know, this HD did not help this thing. This thing no. definitely needs to be uh, repurposed for HD. <laughs> but. But uh, definitely interesting. Uh, then I checked out Second Chance, which is a uh, Robert Mitchum and Jack Palance movie. So Palance Ooh. was in our lives twice this week. So uh, but this was one I hadn't seen. This is uh, one of the early 3D movies, 1953. Wow. Um, it's kind of Mitchum plays a boxer in some of the uh, least convincing boxing I've ever seen in cinema history. Yeah, it's really. I mean, it's some bad boxing, but it, it's it's just you know it's kind of background fodder for a kind of a love story with and a mobster who's after a girl. Jack Palance is fucking amazing in this movie. <laughs> yeah, he is, man. He's so good. Yeah, his face. It, you know, we always talk about him being stone faced, but his face in this film is like rubber. It just moves in the weirdest fucking ways. I'm like, how's he doing that? And he's wearing one of those classic, like really, like you know those high shoulder pad suits. Yeah, yeah. So he looks like a fucking like a cartoon almost. Cause he would be he would be a good Joker. Oh, he would have been a great Joker. He would have been like the ideal Joker. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's so good in the movie. Uh, Mitchum's good in it. You know, he, this is kind of Mitchum's like matinee idol days. This is you know he's kind of more like a uh, he looks almost like Elvis Presley moments with his hair and stuff. Oh wow! And the way he talks, you know, his coolness and stuff. But uh, <laughs> it's fun. It's, it's, it's okay movie. I, I wouldn't say it's great. It has a great kind of climax on a a mountaintop cable car. Um, with some action beats and stuff, and it, it's it's pretty okay, but you can tell it was shot in 3D. It's old school 3D and stuff, and the, the transfer wasn't that great. This again was on TCM, so it wasn't that great. But it was, you know, like I say, a blind spot. You know, Robert Mitchum film. Thought I'd check it out. You know, Jack Palance, Robert Mitchum. What can you go wrong? And I was entertained, to say the least. So that was good. Cool. I got to check that out, man. That's uh, you know, seeing those two together on screen, especially at, at the height of you know, their youth. Uh, that that sounds very cool. Yeah, they. Uh, the only thing. I would say is the pacing's kind of rough, you know. It's it's uh, some slow romance. So, you know, there you go. Slow <laughs> romance. <laughs> I then watched uh, one that I was trying to cram in for year in. I'd heard some good things about. I think it won uh maybe an award at TIFF or maybe something or maybe I don't know. Uh, Sleepless Night French film. 
Oh, yeah, that was from last year at uh, Midnight Madness. I yeah. want to say it might have won the Midnight Madness Viewer's Choice Award. It was the cop in the nightclub with his kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I checked it out. It was like a 99-cent rental on iTunes, so I checked it out. And uh, it's a good movie. I, I don't think it's a great movie, though. It's not as action-packed as I hoped, not as fast-paced and kind of desperate as I hoped. Uh, it has some really great moments uh, and some great faces. I'll give it that. Um, but it just doesn't have the... I don't know. It just didn't take it over the top for me. Uh, some good performances, some not so good performances uh, here and there. It's just, I don't know. It's got a, it's, it's, it's the, the father-son element I thought would get me a little, you know, would entice me a little bit more, but it's a little, it's a little jagged. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know what way to explain it, but I, I'd just say it's a good film, you know, seven territory, but I wouldn't say it's a great film. Yeah, I, I, you know, the thing is, which we've talked about, I think, whenever we watched some of the later, <clears throat> the n- newer French genre type stuff is so how it's almost become like South Korea where it's glossy and almost they crib a little too much from Hollywood's style and playbook. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. and it's just, you know, they play it safe and it kind of takes away the, the, um, the distinct voice of their, their countries when they're just trying to, to put out, a, you know, a bit of a manufactured, uh, Hollywood thing. I think Todd, Todd on the board on the Facebook page said that, you know, he said something about the, the shaky cam and, uh, I don't know if he said there was a lot or not, but I, I I found this to be just a little too much in spots. And shaky cam, for the sake of shaky cam, I think sometimes I don't really have a problem with shaky cam because I don't get motion sickness. But well, unless you're Gaspar Noé, and then yeah. you, you know, and I have an empty stomach, and then you can fuck with me. But <laughs> but this one is does and you know it's just, it's 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 born identity shaky cam is what it is, and uh, it, it's it's fine. Uh, but I think you know with shaky cam that's supposed to that's supposed to convey an immediacy to action and it doesn't really in this one and it doesn't really give me a documentary feel either. So it's kind of, it's kind of in this weird like purgatory where it's like almost like this is stylistic choice, you know? So I don't know. It's good. It's good though. I mean, I would definitely check it out. I think you'll like it. I just don't think you'll, you know, be head over heels for it. But then again, I could be wrong. Um, and then, uh, this morning or while I couldn't sleep cause I woke up in terribly early <laughs> As in most of the time, probably the time when most people that listen to this show go to bed. <laughs> uh, I watched, uh, I'm, I'm going to try to next year watch, I, I've seen almost all of Abel Ferrara's work up to a certain point and then I just dropped him. And so I thought, well, what's he been up to lately? And he's been up to stuff, but I just haven't been pursuing it. So I thought I'm going to check out all of Ferrara's new stuff. So I had one on my Netflix queue, which is Chelsea on the Rocks, a documentary he did. Oh, wow. About the uh, Hotel Chelsea in uh, New York City. Uh, so I checked that out today, and it was pretty good, man. It was pretty good. I just, you know, it's a documentary by Abel Ferrara, so you get a lot of Abel Ferrara talking in the background, you know, because <laughs> he's a he's a man he's a man well, a maniac I should say, but a manic type personality. He's very high energy. Um, but it you know got some interesting stories, some strange reenactments. I don't know why he put those in there. It's, oh God! So it's not it's not it's not perfect, but it's uh, it is interesting, and you know the hotel's got a great history and. It looks great, you know, and it just it attracts people that somebody like Abel Ferrara is terribly attracted to. So, uh, yeah, so that was my first one of the newer. That's 2008, so that's a very much a newer uh, Abel Ferrara <coughs> film. So, looking forward to checking out some of his other stuff because some people I read a book on him recently, and some people have been saying that you know he doesn't get the attention he deserves. He's still making good films, but nobody's looking at him now. So, I don't know. I'm gonna check him out. 
Yeah, I, I would like to see it too. He, he and I, I think I was saying to you off air a few weeks ago. He has two films out this year, and both of them were very high relieved, but relieved were very highly received from Cahiers de Cinema. I want to say it was them or a French, a pretty prominent French film publication. Both two of his films made their top ten of the year. So, mm-hmm. which is the one with Willem Dafoe at the end of the world, and then I think it's called like eleven fourteen or something. Yeah. Um, and then another one he did. So it's it's nice to see that some people are still regarding his work as. It's fantastic. But I do think, yeah, his, his name kind of falls at the cracks now, outside of the 80s, his 80s output. Yeah, he made another documentary recently that came out, I think this year or last year, called Mulberry Street, uh, mm-hmm. which is about uh, some place in the Bronx and stuff. And uh, it's got Danny Allo and it's some other people and stuff. I really want to check that one out. Um, it probably has, uh, if I'm lucky, I'll probably have Esposito in there because Giancarlo Esposito pops up in almost every New York film. <laughs> yeah. But I'm going to check out some other stuff. I, I quit watching him after the funeral and the blackout. I didn't watch anything. So I haven't seen New Rose Hotel, R Xmas, Mary, Go Go Tales. Fuck you for name it, man. 444 Last Day on Earth, Napoleon, Napoleon, Napoleon. I haven't seen that. I don't even know what the fuck that is. I haven't even seen it. Me neither. It. That's an Italian film he made. Oh, wow. So, I mean, this guy's doing stuff. And, you know, it's just not getting released here. So. I mean, you know, it it pops up every now and then. So I'm going to try to check some of this stuff out. I know 444 among some of the people in our group, I think it was on Netflix for a while or something, but some people did not like that film. So, But I think with a filmmaker like Ferrara, that's Ferrara. <laughs> that's what you get. I mean, you know, you you get that. I mean, he's he's a divisive filmmaker, to say the least. So, All right, so that's everything we've watched. Pretty good week. Good stuff definitely. in there. Yeah, I would definitely uh, recommend you check out that porn documentary. It's on Netflix Instant, by the way. I will, for sure. Man. That's good. It's called After... What is it called again? After Porn Ends. After Porn Ends. Okay, yeah. good. Which is weird, because a lot of the people in it are still doing porn. <laughs> but you know what? Once you do that lifestyle, what do you? What, what else do you have to fall back on, really? You know. Yeah, if you're in it for 20 years, I mean, you get out of um, performing, you get into directing, or, you know, something else. Like, you know, you can't go with your resume as being porn started too many... Fortune 500 companies. I think Randy West has been doing it for like 40 years. Oh, yeah. I think he started out as a stripper like a, at um, Stagettes. Yeah, you're right. He used to fuck the mothers and daughters at the same time. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You know your porn, bro. I know my, my Randy West. I love those tan lines. <laughs> that guy rocks some tan lines. No doubt about yeah. that. Still to this day, he rocks tan lines. Amazing. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a short break and come back and talk. Well, which one do you want to talk about first? I mean, oh boy, um, <laughs> what do let's do uh, let's do rabbit dogs first? Okay, we'll be back right after this. Swear you'll listen to the good, the bad, and the odd. The good. He has the cruelty of Jack Nicholson's Joker, the wit of Mark Hamill's Joker, yeah. and the laugh of Cesar Romero. <laughs> the bad. He's bald, he's got a cat, he lives in a volcano. What else do you need? And the odd. I've That's seen bits of it, it's really stupid. Swear to me. Just a couple of guys talking about movies. You can find us on www. The good, the bad, and the odd.com.
Rapid Dogs intro there. Rocking and rolling there, man. That's awesome. Yeah, two films with two great soundtracks. They just uh, <laughs> had the misfortune of falling on Christmas week, and we got to keep it festive. Yes. <laughs> uh, I got to stop saying rocking and rolling. I think I'm some kind of like whacked out DJ of some sort. <laughs> it's like Abel Ferrara or something. Rocking and rolling. <laughs> All right, so uh, Rabbit Dogs. Um, who wants uh, Do you want to lead? Do you want me to lead? Do you care? Which one, you know? um, I'm happy to lead on this if you like. I'll let you lead on Miami Connection. Okay. I have a feeling you may have taken two pages more notes than I did. <laughs> All right. I'll take a lead on Rabbit Dogs because I think you've professed your love to this. So I don't think I've ever professed mine. So I'll, I'll Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, that's a good point. I'm excited to hear what you have to say, right. having seen it before, but keeping kind of close to the vest. Okay. All right. So Rabbit Dogs is 74. Uh, following a bungled robbery, three violent criminals take a young woman, a middle-aged man, and a child hostage and force them to drive them outside of Rome to help them make a clean getaway. Okay, so first thing you need to know about Rabbit Dogs, for those who don't know, but I imagine most people listening to the show probably do know, but either way, we'll go ahead and get something out there. Now, Mario Bava is known for a certain type of cinema. Uh, maybe oh, maybe kind of like you could say maybe gothic horror, so, so to speak, or mostly that kind of stuff. He did some spy films, which you haven't seen one of them that I would really like to cover at some point, so that'll be fun. Yes. Um, but... He's very much a stylist kind of guy. For those, and he's no sorry, and he is known. We should say to be sort of the godfather of, of the giallo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 and a great cinematographer. Uh, you know, shot, <laughs> shot Hercules, the the pivotal uh, peplum film, which created a whole genre over there. Um, so he kind of was, I, and, and this is what I know from what I've read. He was kind of watching all these other directors kind of coming up. And, you know, at this point, this is made in 74, 75, 73, somewhere around there as you shot it. Yeah. So we're starting to see Eurocrime films. We're seeing, you know, he didn't really do like a lot of spaghetti westerns or anything like that. So, and he, and he also saw a change in the way horror was made. And uh, horror was getting meaner. Uh-huh. So I think Bava wanted to stay relevant. This is the same thing that happened with Hitchcock. Uh, yes. And I'm so glad you mentioned Hitchcock because I, I always compare or, or parallel this to frenzy which are two masters who do did horror tastefully mm-hmm. getting down and dirty uh and so and they can run with these these young turks that were up and coming in the the film industry yeah so you know they're, they're, they're very and then they died within 40 days of each other too which is crazy oh wow i never knew that man yeah, that's pretty insane oh God. but they uh they uh they they just wanted to kind of become. I, I guess the thing was they were afraid they were becoming irrelevant. I guess is what I should say. Mm-hmm. So they were doing this and stuff. Now the thing about Rabbit Dogs though that's kind of crazy is it got made, and one of the producers died in the process, and so the film got shelved, and it didn't really get released until I think twenty years later. Twenty three years later. Yeah, twenty three years later. Uh, this is one of the first big DVDs. I remember this is when I first had a DVD player. This is one I wanted to buy and I couldn't. So the Wild Moly Video here in Louisville actually rented it out. And this was the first time I saw it was that way. And I had to drive, you know, 40 miles at the time. I was living 40 miles away from that video store. But I drove 40 miles to rent this video. Amazing. <laughs> and uh, checked it out and stuff. And I and actually went back and rented it a couple more times because I showed it to friends and stuff uh, who sadly didn't get into it as much as I did. But, you know. Try to explain to somebody, you know, your love of George Eastman. <laughs> anyway, um, so now, you know, here it is. It's out. Now, the interesting thing about Rabbit Dogs is it's, it's a work print film, but it's a complete film, too. 
so it's it's very interesting history to the film, and there's probably even more I could go into, but I don't want to you know spend all of our time going into the past of and stuff. But definitely, if you guys want to read some, the story behind the film is as good as the film itself. It's kind of it's very interesting. It is. I do want to say one more thing about the history because I think it's relevant to people wanting to watch it. There's two cuts to this film. There's the kidnapped cut, which is a little bit less nasty, and the cut, which both are on the disc from Anchor Bay, Yes. Um, which is a great disc with documentary stuff and commentary with Tim Lucas and whatnot. But um, the cut you want to watch is the cut we watched, which is how we're referring to it as Rabid Dogs. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, it gives you two options. Uh, Rabid Dogs, which is the Mario Baba work print. And then Kidnapped, which is the kind of trimmed up Lamberto Bava, you know, shot a couple additional scenes to add some stuff and then also take some stuff out. So two different films. And like Will says, one is more nihilistic than the other. So take what you will. They're both interesting to watch, but I would recommend you watch Rabbit Dogs first. And I'm sure Will will as well. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so uh, yeah. We got a great cast here. We got, uh, I don't really know much about Ricardo Cuchula, Cuchiola, I guess that's his name, <laughs> Cuchiola. Uh, he plays Ricardo, great mustache, that's all I can say. Uh, now, I do know Don Backey. He's been in some, uh, he was in some spaghetti westerns. He's in one we should cover at some point called The Violent Four, which is good. Oh, yeah, yeah, it is good. I have yeah. seen The Violent Four. Yeah, so that one we should cover at some <laughs> point, but uh, he's in that one, he's, and he looks like a spaghetti western actor anyway. Yeah, he has like a George Hilton kind of look. Yeah, yeah. Lee Lander, who's the female in here, they call Greta Gabo. Oh, see, well, see, but let's wait, wait, okay, Greta Gabo. <laughs> That's my Italian right there. <laughs> uh, and she's fine. She plays the damsel in distress, very sweaty miss. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. She does get mistreated throughout the film, so <laughs> brave role for her. So bravo, Greta Gabo. Uh, Maurice Poli, who's also been in some good films. He was in a uh, kind of a uh, he's been in uh, what was he in? Uh, shit, uh, he's in Spaghetti Western too. Uh, oh, it's, it's popular. Oh, Shango. It was a kind of a take on Django. He's in Shango. <laughs> they <laughs> Which, combined Shane and Django. Yeah, they came out with Shango. So he's in that, but he he's got a great face. So he and yeah, all he the face all the faces in this film are great. So, but he's got a really great face now. And and, and to save the last of the main cast, but certainly not least, the six foot nine giant master of the tank top. Uh, yeah. George Eastman, uh, who is uh, unbelievable in this film. This, I mean, <laughs> he's just fucking unbelievable in this film. Uh, George Eastman, just, just <laughs> I will some, get to. <laughs> some consider Anthropophagus his finest star, but I think this is my favorite Eastman. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I love him in so much stuff. I mean, I love him in Hands of Steel too. It's one of his finest stars. Yeah. He's rocking a tank top in that as well, blue one, I think. But he's yeah, that's right. He's just so much fun. Uh, in films, uh, and uh, you know he's not afraid to go for it. As his directorial career, I found out, and his writing career, as we know, and his acting career has shown us that uh, for a man who uh, you know he's willing to do anything. Let's put it that way. <coughs> Whatever it takes, he's not afraid of the dark side of humanity. No. Um, it's really there's so we we open with a pretty exciting. See, to me, this film is almost not even a horror film. It's almost a more of a Eurocrime film. Oh, it is Eurocrime, absolutely. Yeah. And I think it gets roped a little bit into horror because of some of the elements of it, because it's nasty. But it, obviously, it's more roped into that because of Bava, right? Because people wouldn't think Bava would do something like a Eurocrime film. So, I would say probably in the early days when you saw it at Wild Mo- is it Wild Molly video? Yeah, yeah. I would say it might have been stalked alongside that because Street Law and Big Rocket in these films hadn't been put up by Blue Underground where 
there wasn't really a lot of availability for the genre of euro crime. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, no, it was in, it was in the horror. It was in the horror section. Yeah, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it's still in the horror section in some video stores, um, just because of Bob's name. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's so synonymous with that genre that I think people would throw it in there. But it's kind of like you know, like almost human is almost like a bizarre, over the top euro crime film. This one's not bizarre so much because the acting outside of George Eastman's performance is not over the top. This one's very serious, but it's it it has some just truly nasty last house on the left type moments. Oh yeah. Um that, you know, it's obvious that I think Bava knew of some stuff or saw some stuff. Or, again, he just wanted to stay relevant. So I think he knew what was around. And it's it's smart by him. What's what's most impressive about about him is is that he kind of eliminates a lot of the Bava style that you know, mm-hmm. except for a couple <clears throat> moments. There's the great pans with the fisheye lens, yeah, that are just amazing looking. Uh, there's like two or three times they do that in there, and you get to see the six foot nine George Eastman run at full gait, which is pretty impressive. He, he can really move for a six foot nine, or man. Oh yeah, he's rocking and rolling, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you see little moments like that now. Our, our gangsters get away uh, from their initial robbery, so no spoilers there. It's very interesting. They decide they're rich. Uh, Don Backey's character, Blade, Basturi, uh, he says that we're no longer fairies, which is interesting. I didn't know fairies were poor or whatever they are, but it's a very interesting comment. Hey, we're rich. We're no longer fairies. Um, so we we got to go into a couple things here. The sweat. Oh, boy, what a sweaty film this is. This might be... <laughs> This is up there with any spaghetti western of any sort. And evidently when they shot this, they shot this in the summer in Italy. So it was very hot. So the sweat is real. There's, this is not, you know, misting people off screen sweat. This is real sweat. So that car had to be funky as hell. Oh, boy. When they, he says roll up the windows, I'm thinking, oh, my God. I know. It's awful. You can just feel it. And I'm sitting there thinking, here's Eastman, you know, sweating like a pig. He's got this big tank top on. He's throwing his arms around people. I'm like, hope he's wearing deodorant. But he looks like a guy who doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, exactly. And I know I read that Don Backey wasn't happy because he had to wear a beard, that half beard, you know, mm-hmm. like a dark five o'clock shadow in the hot summer. And it really pissed him off. So he saves his grumpy all the time. And, of course, Eastman always has a beard of some sort. But... It is definitely one of the sweatiest films we've ever covered on this uh, on the show. Now, the, the score is interesting, too, because I think Cipriani, I think it was, it was just a temp score. And it, it's become this thing. But I think it was like, because I think there's another piece in this film that's from another film he scored. But I can't remember what it's from because it sounds familiar to me. But the main intro, obviously, I think was a temp thing he did, which just kind of stuck with it. I don't think he was going to keep it originally, but it's kind of cool that they kept it because it really is good. I will say it might be my favorite piece of music that Stelvio Cipriati did. He's a guy that I think sometimes gets thrown by the wayside when you talk about the D'Angelis brothers and everyone else that, um, you know, whether it's Fritzi or whomever, or Massi. Um, yeah, so many. Yeah. So many. But he does get kind of thrown to the side. But he did some good Giallo stuff. And, uh, and I, 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 I got quite a bit of his stuff. And he, he's, he's very competent, very good. Um, so... One of the strengths of Baba, I think, for me, is, at least in this film, is that he is able to go completely against the grain of what he is known for. I I think, you know, to go into this knowing that he needs to do something different and to really go for it and take away almost all the Baba-isms, so to speak, that's what impressed me the most. You know, directors, I think, struggle to stay relevant 
as they get older anyway. I mean, Tarantino's been talking about this lately, about how worried he is about his filmography and and all this kind of stuff. And he's worried that he won't be relevant if he makes too many films, you know. But I I think that's the natural progression of any artist. I think, you know, you're, you're, you can come in with a slapdash. Sometimes you have to... Sometimes you have to work for a while, but you come in strong like Bava did, and then you hang around, and, you, and you're known for this and known for that, and then you kind of f- fade away, and then you kind of try to come back, and then you might just fade away again. But as time goes on, like all art, you are appreciated, right? So I think what I'm most impressed with with this is that if this would have came out in his lifetime, I think he would have been renowned all over again. I think it's really a shame that this didn't really get released while he was alive and get out there so people could see because, you know, by the mid-70s, people were like, you know, hey, it's Mario Bava, you know, he made, you know, this film, this film, this film, but nobody was talking about the newer stuff he was doing and he didn't even really like the newer stuff he was doing. So there are some good stuff. There is some good stuff toward the back end, but it's not really, you know, that classic stuff. And I know me and you are both kind of i don't know if the word ambivalent would be right but we're, we're we we appreciate bava but we don't love bava me and you you know what it is i think you nailed it when you said that what's most impressive is for you know i think directors part of the reason they they lose their relevance is you like with anything they be they become accustomed to using whatever techniques and conventions and themes be it subconscious or otherwise when making their films mm-hmm. and my thing with Bava is I've always looked at him, and I know you can feel the same way. He's too clean. He's too pristine. It's like a beautiful woman that just doesn't really do anything for me. Mm-hmm. She's kind of untouchable. And then now it's like he flips the script. He has eyeliner caked on from yesterday. She's tossing your salad, rubbing your balls while sticking a double ender in her punani. It's like <laughs> you didn't know this beautiful woman had a dinner when she let her hair down and hiked her skirt up. Yeah, it's almost like he was... He didn't want to make those kind of films, but then he, he wanted realized. to just keep it classy because his yeah. films are classy, even yeah. though like they're jalo and there's some lurid stuff in them. They're always still very classy. They, they never felt sleazy until now. Right, right, exactly. And uh, you know that you get some moments of, kind of he, where he kind of leers on stuff in this. You know, you got yeah. that great scene where George Eastman's looking down the lady's top and oh, or and, with the panties, <laughs> oh. <laughs> or the panties themselves, or the Jesus. the pissing scene or pizza. That's a great, great moment. Um, Yeah, I mean, at first I I wrote a note here at one point in time. I was like, you know, Eastman is particularly sleazy in this, or is it me? But I I know now, after watching the whole film again, seeing it again, no, it's not me. He's he's really just fucking sleazy in this film. Mm -hmm. He's known as uh, Trentadu in this film, also known as 32. And there's a reason why he's known as 32. Uh, I don't know if I want to give that away. So no, we'll save it. We'll save that because that's one like of the, George saved it. <laughs> that's a classic moment in the film. Uh, the crazed look. I'm actually surprised you didn't post a screenshot of that look on his face. Oh, I, I almost did. <laughs> now, so our, our gang gets into a car, and it's basically one of these situations where it's it's a bad break. All right, the guys at a traffic light, uh, gang pulls up. They get in that car to kind of divert the police. Blah blah blah. And the the man has a sick child in the back, and uh, Augustino, and uh, <laughs> I just love the dialogue in this film. Um, and uh, so, so the logistics of the child don't really work in the film if you really want to get serious about it, because there's a bunch of times where you see people jumping around and everything else. I'm thinking they're crushing that kid in that car. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, it was a wagon. I forgot yeah. that it was a wagon because 
Eastman, the poor motherfucker, has to sit in the back seat. Yes, yes. He never he's never in the front seat in the whole film. <clears throat> yeah. But at least it's not as bad as that car he was in in Baba Yaga. Oh man, that was like uh, <laughs> uh it was like fuck, it was like a coffee cup with wheels. <laughs> yeah, like a Fiat, like a smaller than a Fiat. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, so you know, cuz he's a large man. I, and I think you really see in this film how large George Eastman is because Ricardo, that character is obviously a shorter man. Mm-hmm. And Eastman and him in the in the uh the convenience store gas station. Man. Oh my god, he Eastman, looks like it's He's a fucking giant, man. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. And of course that scene has has possibly one of the most ggtms moments in in all of our coverage is when you know one of the greats and for us george eastman grabs a bottle of jmb just for himself uh it's just like one of those moments where it's like fuck yeah that's what i'm talking about <laughs> that i did post a screenshot of <laughs> yes you did because <laughs> that is critical right there mm-hmm. but it's really great and eastman so i think i think the thing about george eastman in this film everybody in this film it should be said but i think the thing about eastman in this film because he gets a lot of uh flack for being one note usually the bad guy um you know the anthropophagus performance is it's 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 fucking bizarre no doubt about it uh but it's not yeah i think he doesn't get his due as a heavy that's my opinion agreed i think he's a much better heavy than he ever got credit for being now part of the problem with george eastman is he kind of knew how his career was all jacked up so he would he would in the films he liked or adored or thought were classics. He would cast himself or he would bill himself as Luigi Montefiore. That's right, because he was proud of him. That's his real name. Mm-hmm. Everything else he would do that he thought was junk, he would change his name. <laughs> so he's got like five different names. What's awesome about um, about George Eastman is that I, I want to say in Rochester, New York, or somewhere upstate New York. There's a there's a pretty renowned rep theater called the George Eastman Theater. Yes. No relation, obviously, but I always love hearing that. Yes, because <laughs> I remember somebody even posted on our group like a few months ago, like uh, one of the Upstate New York guys, um, Mike or Phil or someone. They said, "Oh, this is playing at the George Eastman Theater," and like, sorry guys, not the same George Eastman. Yeah, yeah. He, he uh, and you know we've said on the show before. He's done a lot of stuff. He's written a lot of stuff. He writes a lot for TV still to this day. And uh, I think he wrote, um, did he write Stage Fright? We covered Stage Fright. I think he wrote it. With Suave, maybe? I, yeah, I can't remember what his involvement was. I think he wrote it, but I'm not positive. But uh, you know, he wrote stuff like, uh, you know, Spaghetti Westerns, The Unholy Four, Porno, Holocaust. Again, you know, these are names like, some of his other names, Alex Carver, Richard Franks, John Cart, Tom Salina. I mean, this guy's got a million names. So it's like, you know, he wrote, he wrote Porno uh, Holocaust as Tom Salina. So it's obvious oh, well. he didn't want to be, you know, he didn't want Luigi Montefiore on there for Porno Holocaust. But, you know, it's funny. You know, he directed that Metamorphosis movie, that movie with the great VHS box. that used to have the, light, the eyes that light up. Oh, man. I think that film, <laughs> is that the one that's got a woman with a really goopy face on it? I think so. I think so. Oh, uh, that cover used to bother me as a kid, man. <laughs> he directed it. That was the last thing he directed. And then, of course, when I was doing research on it for the film, I posted this on our page. His first directorial effort, he directed with somebody, but his first one he has as a credit is a movie called Dog Lay Afternoon. That's amazing. About a woman who sleeps with her dog. The husband gets jealous, burns the dog alive. A little girl sees this and then proceeds to become a whore. So, oh, my God. This is, <laughs> this, is, this is the kind of stuff George Eastman. <laughs> this is the kind of stuff he's not afraid to turn away from. 
<laughs> and he wrote the screenplay to that too, by the way. <laughs> so <laughs> I've never seen it, never heard of it. Don't know if I want to see it, to be honest with you. Yeah, for real. Yeah. I've read some reviews since I found it the other night. I read some reviews, found out that uh the dog scene, not the not the burning of the dog scene, but the actual lovemaking scene is really disturbing. So that bothers me right there. Don't know if I want to watch that. So Yeah. Been there, done that. Don't want to do that again. <sighs> Did I just say that on the air? Anyway, um, <laughs> Uh, so let me get back to the film. Uh, so the great thing about this movie is how taut the thriller aspect of it is. Oh, and, yeah. and it's a one location type film in a lot of ways because it's almost all taking place in this car. So it relies heavily on dialogue. So it's definitely got, you can tell Quentin Tarantino probably saw this and some people like that. And it's very, the story is very much told through dialogue and, and the radio and things like that. Some of the music on the radio is awful, by the way, but it's funny. Um <laughs> But I, I really like that they kept it so tight. And every now and then they get out. The farmhouse scene, obviously. Um, and there's some other great scenes where they get out. But uh, I, can't, I can't give away too much on the back end because there's some twist. There's there's some major twist toward the very back end. But there's some twist and turns and stuff. And I don't want to really spoil that for anybody who hasn't seen no. this. And, cause I, and I, feel like, I feel like even though this film is pretty well known in our circle, uh, I feel like a lot of people haven't seen it. So I, I advise people to definitely check it out. Um, I got to say, the gas station attendant <laughs> does he look like an Italian Warren Oates to you? He really, he really was a, a kind of an interesting looking dude. I thought I'd seen him in some other films. I looked him up on the credits, and he'd only done five films, it says. But then I read on the film more that evidently he worked. He'd been in a whole bunch of Bava stuff. He just you would use alternate names as well. So it's very strange all these Italian actors and their alternate names. Yeah, I can't remember. I, I think he looked a bit like um, Lee Van Cleef. As well. I think if it's the same yeah. one I'm thinking yeah, of. Yeah, like a Lee Van Cleef Warren Oates hybrid of some sort. But I really enjoyed watching this again. I think that this is it, it's as impressive as Frenzy is. I, I happen to love Frenzy probably more than most Hitchcock films. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a huge guy on Hitchcock either. I feel about Hitchcock about the same way I do about Bava. Uh, I like him. I appreciate him. I think he's made some great films, um, but he's not a guy I kind of go back to all the time because uh, because of the same reasons. A lot of his stuff's pretty clean. Uh, it's pretty. It's just not. It's not my bag, baby. Uh, that's really the best way I can put it. It's not that it's bad because I don't think it's bad. It's just it's not my bag. But frenzy is my bag, you know. See, I I much prefer. I shouldn't say prefer. I I like. Hitchcock a lot more than you do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big fan. I like some of his dark humor in his films a lot more. And I think this easily, for me, surpasses Frenzy. And I quite like Frenzy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think Frenzy's a great little film. But, you know, it's um, both of them are good examples of what, what they do. But uh, I, I don't know if that's because I like Hitchcock more. It's, it's interesting. I wonder why that is. But, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But, I mean, for me, this is the Frenzy who had the things that I always wanted Hitchcock to do. And he yeah. never he never would do, Go and then when he, yeah, and then when he finally did, it's 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 what I wanted, and uh, maybe it was the 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 freedom of the seventies, mm-hmm. or maybe it was just you know him wanting to stay relevant. I don't know, but you know that's a story for another show or that, you know something I, else. Sorry, I do want to just say about frenzy. One thing very quickly is I I adore in moments of black humor. I adore the scene when the killer. It's in the back of the potato truck with the body, and it keeps flopping around, and he's trying to, like, tuck it away. It's fucking priceless. I know. I know. I know. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad to watch this film again. I would say this is easily top five Eurocrime for me. Easily. 
uh, one of my favorites. And uh, it's, I agree with you, it might be one of Eastman's best performances. I mean, he's got so many kind of great little turns and, and, and shit films and good films. Uh, I mean, this is a guy that's uh, him and I think Don Becky both are, have both worked with Fellini. Uh, yep. So, you know, you're talking about an actor who's kind of hit all all realms of things, but he's been in a lot of shit too. But he's always good, and that's the key. The key is, you know, the, I think uh, Mondo Justin always says, you know, there's no bad films, there's no bad performances, just bad films. And I, I like that saying because, you know, the the the, the performances in the film, and none, this is not a bad film at all, but the performances in this film are really i think what makes it so great because it's a very standard euro crime as story i mean it's essentially just a uh like a hostage situation uh, it's basically a robbery a hostage situation and the results that's all it is and in the in lesser hands this could have dragged ass could have been total it could have been a total bomb it could have been a piece of shit mm-hmm. and, and not only with lesser hands with direction but also lesser casting it could have just been a piece of shit if they just would have grabbed Joe Blow or some new guy or something else, but I think they grabbed the right faces because the gang is great. The gang is great. The, the, the oh, way man. they the way they cast the faces of Doc and and everything. Everyone, and, everyone has an interesting face. You're right. Even um, the the woman, all of them have interesting faces because when you're going to be in tight on these faces, they better be interesting. Mm-hmm, yeah, but that's all my notes, really. I mean, uh, I was just very happy to revisit it, and I'm glad to actually. I never own this. I'm glad to own this now. Me too. And it was one, you know, truth be told, we usually do two blues from them, but this was a film that I, it, it might make the jump at some point, but I feel like there's enough quality supplemental material on this disc oh, yeah. that I was okay with owning the DVD. Even if I don't get anything more than that, I'm, I'm very proud and happy to have this in my collection as well. Oh, yes. Um, okay. So yeah, you, everyone, I've, I've said how I feel about this film, uh, as you even referenced. Um, so, you know, and I think that really says something. It's a, it's a vote of confidence for me because Eurocrime is probably my favorite genre of film, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> especially over the time, you know, probably the year, a uh, year or two preceding us doing the show and over our run here. It just it's the genre that speaks to me the most with the aesthetic and, you know, some of the stuff that goes on in them. But um, I do want to say for an, a, a great little review in a different perspective, the girls on film uh, show, rest in peace. So it would appear. Um they covered this early on. I, you know, uh, my recommendation. I can't remember when it was. Uh, anyway, their review of it is, is interesting. Certainly, yes, I was very, it is. <laughs> very exciting to hear that. Um, but yeah, this film is. You know, immediately we're kind of thrust in to this film with the theme, and it's got that great. I don't know what that technique's called. Wild Bunch does it, and a few other films do it with it with the credits, where it's almost like this color filter over the the film stock or something. Yeah, you know what I mean. I was talking about. I don't know what the technique is, but you know, it just opens up with that, and it's just it's immediately tense. You know, Baba is this is a film that to me I can appreciate his mastery because I'm emotionally invested in it. It's visceral to me. Like we see everyone looking at their watches early. There's immediate tension that he can manufacture within the first two or three minutes. Whether it's with that, whether it's with the way it's snappily edited right away and kind of the jarring cuts that, but in a good way, we're being thrust into a very bad situation very quickly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, we get a brutal switchblade kill four minutes in, man. This woman gets it in the neck and just the way she drops. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. just, it, there's not a lot of fanfare, but it's just like, oh, God. Yeah, he keeps the violence off screen, which is interesting in a way, because uh, you would think that, just, you know, to kind of be, you know, to feel like he needs to be more with the times, he would go with it. But maybe that was the one thing he just couldn't do. Yeah. It, does, yeah, maybe. it, it doesn't stop it from being 
shocking. It's the power of suggestions, like we always say, and what a lot of great directors know, it's not what you see, it's what you don't see. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we talked about this, you talked about this, everyone is sweaty and wide-eyed in this film. Yes. Um, I, and too, you know, early on with some of the actions that these, these, these robbers do, we realize that the title Rabid Dogs is very much appropriate you know these are rabid dogs and it it makes their um volatility and desperation makes the situation infinitely more precarious for the people that aren't aren't robbers like our you know our our good guys so to speak Mm -hmm. and you know another great thing i just a fantastic little little thing that baba did in this film is that when that woman gets stabbed in the neck in the in the garage when the police are kind of closing in on them early on like i said first five minutes of the film they stab her in the throat. It's great because he contrasts the blood coming down her, you know, her throat and her chest onto this um, almost like a baby yellow, like you know that that shade of yellow that's like like a, a springtime or like a, an Easter yellow. Yeah, yeah. The blood saturating her shirt, and as she's lying there in a heap, you can see like her bag spilled over with stuff she bought at the store. And one of the things she buys is this like a spinning top type thing for a child. So the heft of not only did they kill a woman, but they just they just left some child motherless. Yeah, and yeah. He, he doesn't linger on that, but it's only about five seconds enough to know that man, these guys are playing for keeps. That's a great touch. It's a small moment, but I really liked it. Yeah, it is a really great moment. Um, the the tension is heaped on even more and ratcheted up more when by having a sick child who needs surgery now. You know, you're adding all these elements that are just adding more tension. Desperate men, it's hot, it's strangers being thrust together, it's a child that's sick, it's the cops closing in, it's, you know, everything is added to make this film even more tense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a character not in the film, but they reference him, or maybe he's in the first minute or two of the film, I should say. His name is Faggio. Faggio, unfortunate name, that. Yes. Uh, you know, spelled F-A-G-G-I-O. Yes. So, poor Faggio. <laughs> um yeah, so you know, Bava shows too with these rabid dogs, quote unquote, that they'll kill kids. There's no pro- they have no problem with that, and they're willing to break the unwritten rule, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Although I almost so. feel like when Eastman's asked, I almost feel like he's just saying it to to for bravado. Like, but I don't, but I don't think um, um, Baki is. I think he's willing to do it. Yeah. I think he's he's the most um, well, the most vicious of all of them. Yeah, well, I mean. The film dictates that, right? Because really, outside of one other moment, Becky's doing most of the damage. Yeah, he is. So he is. Um, the music in it, you know, it's not just great; it's like a ticking clock almost. Yeah, it's it's basically the same theme most of the way through, but yeah, like, just rejigged for the certain yeah, parts. Of the yeah, film. just like different speeds and tempos. Um. No, oh yeah, with with um, fucking Eastman asking um the girl. Pee-pee or look at <laughs> And then laughing like a maniac. Oh, God. And, you know, there, there's, and I think Bava's wise enough to know that, you know, every 20 or 30 minutes, we need to get them out of the car to stretch their legs and to stretch our legs. And there's a great moment when the girl tries to get away and they're in a cornfield. And Eastman's hunkered over like this big cat. You know, he's, he's, he's conserving his energy. He's kind of panting a bit because he's been chasing her, but he's hunkered over just looking for her. Mm-hmm. And it was a great moment. And, uh, it's been a great moment. What a fucking hog on Eastman. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, you know, I was thinking. Holy. There's a scene. There's the scene, the peeing scene, the pissing scene. Yeah, he's been over most of it. And I'm sitting there thinking, he's been over. Why has he been over? Because he's wore out. And I'm sitting there thinking, maybe he's been over because is uh, because he can't. You know, Baba's like, I can't get you in frame, you tall son of a bitch. <laughs> you yeah, know, that's right. Because the it, it's a great looking shot, right? Because you got the girl in the foreground, and you got Eastman and Backy in the background, and it's pretty great. Yeah, I took a screenshot of that. I didn't post it, but it is a great shot, and it's a pretty um. It's one of those terrible scenes that it affects you more than murder would in a film in some ways because this woman gets completely degraded. They tell her to pee standing up, basically, and take her panties off and open her legs a bit and just piss. She eats this or take a piss here. And they're lo- they're just leering at her. They're intentionally leering at her to make her even more uncomfortable. Yeah, It's and, pretty impressive uh, that she could perform, though, because I don't know if I could do that if somebody was making me do it. Yeah, no kidding. It's even made even more kind of awful because... You see Eastman and Backy licking their lips and kind of sniffing the air, and and fucking Backy pulls a raw in a very John Ross movie, licks his knife. Yeah, he does. He does lick the knife, and then they they make her wipe herself with her panties. It's just so oh, degrading, man. It's so degrading. And then Eastman makes the silver black elk noise. Yeah, he does. It does. It's pretty incredible. And then and then, and then both know, of them listen to Silver and Gold and walk away happy. They do. <laughs> and then, you know, Eastman's like, he, he tells everyone to sniff his finger. It's just an awful. Yeah, I love that scene where he pulls the middle finger out. <laughs> oh, God. Just waving it around. Um, the the uh, a punchline for a great joke. I wish I had written it down in Italian, but um, speaking of biscotti, because I fucking spilled my coffee this morning. But, oh, the joke is... Um, Eastman, after they, you know, they're really humiliating. I think goes, "What goes in hard, but comes out soft." Now, cookie dipped in coffee. <laughs> yeah, supposedly, from what I understand, reading about Bava, he was notorious for dirty jokes. Nice. Like it was his favorite thing to do on the set was tell dirty jokes. Now, this is a time before political correctness and sexual harassment and everything. So, everybody that ever worked for him said that, like, almost every day he had like a really this filthy ass joke, and he loved telling those jokes. And evidently, that was one of his jokes. But that wasn't really filthy, but it was, you know, it's implied filthiness, right? Yeah, right, exactly. Um, man, Eastman and uh, I can't remember the, the mustache, the main guy, they fucking don't wash their hands when they come out of that washroom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty awful. I don't think Eastman washes his hands for any reason. He don't give a fuck. No. Nope. Nope. Um, there's a pretty shocking decision from the doctor near the back end of the film to, to do something. Or yeah. to, you know, to just, you know, it's like, holy shit. Um and there's this kind of dark, again, it's sort of a Hitchcocky thing with this this redhead they pick up. And she calls them a miracle because her car broke down. And what a fucking chatterbox she was. But Oh, man. Most obnoxious hitchhiker in cinema history? Oh, yes. God. Possibly maybe the worst. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's someone that near the back of the film dies. And what's worse than them being dead is, is the fact that they're dying and they're just spit bubbles and blood and breathing and stuff it's just uh you know pretty horrific stuff um it, it, you know what it, it almost leads to sympathy and that's bizarre yeah it is bizarre considering everything that's preceded it because you can't be sympathetic i mean no. as a human being you should not be <laughs> no and yet no i had moments i, I had little brief moments yeah no i know what you mean i know what you mean um i don't want to talk too much about more about the back end of the film um, you know, because we're given some info, uh, some things are discussed and some stuff happens and I don't even want to say any more than that, but, uh, yeah, great, great stuff. 
Yeah, you, one of the things that I want to mention that I brought in my notes here and I forgot to say was that originally the Ricardo role was uh, cast by Al Letieri. Oh, wow. He was originally cast in that, and uh, they said that he showed up and he was a raging, at this point he's a raging alcoholic. He can't do anything. Nobody even wants to be around him. He's drink. He's drunk so much. And I think like four months after he left, like four years or four months, I can't remember what it was they said, but like after he left that that's that film, this film, he died. So, uh, yeah, so oh. originally it was supposed to be Al Letieri there with the mustache in the front seat. Good thing he well, it wasn't him because he has to drive most of the film. Yeah, yeah. So I let Thierry to just stinking it up with the alcohol. Oh yeah. Said he got off the plane, he could barely walk. Jesus. <laughs> oh man, this is good stuff. It's so much fun to watch this film. Make or break scene. Fuck man, so many. Uh, I know it's hard. Where the fuck do I even begin? <sighs> I'm glad you did this because I just wrote one down. Now I'm glad you're going first on this. Yeah, and the problem is I didn't. I never wrote one down. I put a bunch of question marks on my paper, on my notes because I'm like, <laughs> what the fuck? Um. I'm going to go with shit. I am going to go with the farm, the farm scene because it's just so mean spirited and nasty. And I I just, I I can't get past it. It's, it's so memorable without being terribly explicit that, uh, it's still, (laughs) it's both. I know this sounds awful, but it's both funny and horrible and it's a fine line to walk. And I think Bava walks it. So, Nice. My MVT for this one is Bava. Uh, mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, this is just a rough cut. I'd like to see what he could have done with it, probably if he had a chance to clean it up. But it might not be the film it is if he would have had a chance. You know, sometimes you don't know. Yeah, it's maybe meant to be. Yeah, maybe know. it was meant to be, you know. So I'm kind of glad that it is what it is. Uh, so it's definitely Bava. My score for this film, super high, man. 8.75 out of 10. Uh, nice. I can maybe even go 9, to be honest with you. But it's, it's right in that ballpark. Uh, it's... The pacing is just great. Uh, you know, uh, that's the, that's the key to me. This movie moves along briskly, and it's mostly a one location kind of type film. And the casting is so great that, yeah, eight point seven five out of ten. Nice, nice. Um, I'm pretty much spot on with you. The pissing scene at the farm is the make or break for me. It's just so mean spirited and nasty, and. It's so emblematic of the rest of the film. MVT, yeah, Bava. I mean, you you take when when the most recognizable face in your your car in your film is is Eastman. Not to discredit Eastman, but when he is, and you still get great turns from everyone, and you shoot inside a fucking car for eighty percent of the film. That really shows what a master filmmaker Bob was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. So I got to give it up to him. Um, score. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna, I guess 8.5. Ah, yeah. Oh, mm. yeah. I'm gonna. <laughs> God, it's right there, man. Um, I'll say an 8.75, man. What the fuck? You know, everything works great in this film. The the score from Cipriani. Uh, I think I wanted to say Stelvio Mass. I get my Stelvios mixed up. Um, <laughs> fuck. Uh, but yeah, it's just oh, it's just such a great film, man. It's just it's it plays great as. As, a, as an exploitation film, as a, you know, Euro crime, it's just so fucking good. And the disc is readily available. Anchor Bay put it out. It's a great disc for people that are maybe looking to dip their toe into the Euro crime genre. Yeah, especially. Uh, that that yeah. haven't yet mm-hmm. and, and want to, to see what the genre is capable of. This is a great choice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would be, <clears throat> that would be my recommendation too. Like, uh, 
like you know if you had to name like two or three euro crime films to turn somebody on this and big racket maybe would be good starts big racket would be a good start yeah that'd be a good one too yeah so uh that's our thoughts on rabbit dogs uh this is definitely a buy guys go out and get this thing uh buy it own it love it and uh we're gonna take a short break come back and talk about a little film called miami connection uh, <laughs> so we'll be back right after this. This is Alyssa from Big Red Podcast, inviting you to listen to our show about pop culture, TV, and cool stuff that we talk about every week. Right, Derek? Well, you know you love it, and we talk about it. And if you haven't been listening, here's what you've been missing out on. And by a lot, I mean there are several shows to talk about, none of which were especially good. You know, it seems mostly uh, what I'm learning is a lot of things to take a lesson from One Tree Hill, and I never thought I'd say that. He also has a magnificent head of hair. Yes. Well, thank you. Naked Viking, whatever. And as with Lost... The flashbacks aren't interesting at this point. Uh, I'm just hoping that uh, it won't break my heart like heroes. Like punch a dinosaur in the face. Yes, the mother was was insane and bizarre and apparently high, I'm guessing. I learned a lesson today about karma. The man who can't feel pain shouldn't be dealing with hot liquids and whatever. Right here, old man. And why are you not winning? So listen to Big Red Podcast if you like TV and junk on TV, because we totally watch it and talk about it, so you don't have to. Find us at BigRedPodcast.com or check us out in the iTunes store. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to welcome to my club, Park Avenue, Central Florida's hottest nightclub. We have a special treat for you today. We have a new house band with a new dimension in rock and roll. We have the one, the only, Dragon Sound! Sister Jane, she's working here. <laughs> All right, I had to make sure I got that last line in there. That Jeff, that's your sister working here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jeff. Anyway. <clears throat> All right. So Miami Connection, uh, an infamous film, if ever there was one, for the yeah. for the YouTube generation especially. So. As I said before in the opening, uh, directed by one YK Kim and Wu Sang Park. I think it was mostly directed by Wu Sang Park, but YK Kim was involved as well. Um, yeah, a martial arts rock band goes up against a band of motorcycle ninjas who have tightened their grip on Florida's narcotics trade. I mean, if, if that doesn't want you to buy out the film, <laughs> and if that isn't the most GGTMC <laughs> synopsis ever, yeah. <clears throat> oh my god. So I have so many notes on this film, I don't even know where to begin. You're going to take the lead on this one. Uh, I know you have a lot of notes as well, so we'll see yeah. 
what uh, what transpires here. It's it's really this this film is only eighty seven minutes long or maybe ninety minutes long or something, but it took me almost four hours to get through it because I kept pausing it. <laughs> oh, I know to write shit down. So I'll scratch some stuff out as you go along here, but just let me say Orpins. That's all I'll say. <laughs> yeah. You good old Orpins. My favorite subplot. I thought, um, I thought we were all Orpins. <laughs> um, so this film, you know, it's, um, yeah, like you said, where to begin? Basically, the backstory for this film is it's um, it's been floating around for about four or five years, maybe, maybe that long, online and stuff. It's gained a lot of notoriety. Um, the story goes, um, you know, this film really didn't get a release when it came out in 87. Ironically, both films were shelved for years. Yeah, I know. Wow, what a, <laughs> I never realized that double would, would have that parallel, man. Yeah, it's crazy. Holy cow. Um, <clears throat> but Alamo, I want to say it was, um, gosh, what's his name now? Tim Lee. I can see his face. Or Zach not, Carlson. Not Zach, Carlson. Zach. Yeah. I believe it was Zach. Maybe it was Tim, but I think it was Zach. Um, it was Zach, he, who, Zach who championed the film, yeah. Yeah, but what happened was there was a print of this film called Miami Connection um, that was floating around. You know, not much was known about it. It was for 50 bucks. They bought it. They, I think they ended up screening it at like Weird Wednesdays or something or whatever, one of their, one of their nights. And it went over huge, obviously. Mm-hmm. So um, Alamos put this film out on their label, the, uh, I guess it's called Draft Films. I got a couple of their discs now because I picked up their Bullhead uh, release. I'll tell you, they're doing the smart thing of acquiring some really great, more artistic films alongside stuff like this. They're going to be one to watch. Yes, yes. You know, because their brand is such that, you know, they're, they're really, you know, I think they're kind of the dream theater for all of us. Mm-hmm. Having You know, I haven't never been there, but... I can tell you, you know, I would love to go. And I'm envious of people that get to go all the time. Like, uh, you know, some of our good friends, uh, Brian and I think Christina. and Deb, go, and Deb goes. Deb uh, goes a lot. I think she just went recently and saw something with, uh, oh, man, it was soul jealousy inducing. And I know she's, they're going to show Streets of Fire here pretty soon. I think they're going to have some people down for that. And it's just, it's ridiculous. It's, you know, talk about being just envious of a place. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is quite the theater, so. Um, but yeah, this film, man, I mean, uh, right away, the film opens. Within two minutes, we get Uzis, <laughs> satin jackets, white fedoras, <laughs> Ray-Bans, blowbacks. I mean, right away. Switchblades. Switchblades. <laughs> switch yeah, a junk, drug deal in a junkyard. With, with the most unnatural smokers in the history of cinema. <laughs> and members-only jackets. Yeah, it's it's insane. It's insane. So as if that wasn't enough, we get a few cherries on top by way of Ninja Star in neck. <laughs> after the old, uh, let me stick the knife in the packet of cocaine and lick it and rub my gums with it. I'm pretty convinced at this point now, with all the cinema history I have, that switchblades are not necessarily. There's two switchblades in both films. There's switchblades in both films too. I don't know. Yeah. You must have had, something. Must have been in the water when you picked these films. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure the switchblades are made for checking coke. Yeah. <laughs> or for threatening someone in an alleyway. Yes. <laughs> but they must have butter, like called the butter grip handle, where they're like, it's almost like the soap in the shower yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> That's a switchblade. And, and, and there's fucking bow and arrows. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they cover every base. Mm-hmm. You know, say what you will about Kim and Park. Two fine Koreans, um, but they throw everything in 
including the kitchen sink. And, you know, I have to say this, you know, full disclosure, I do love this film. You love this film. I don't, for me, I don't think it's, it, it's alongside Stabilizer and a few other films that, that push it a little bit further. You know, it's just right there. But I feel like, for better or worse, this film will almost become to Z-grade kind of action and action films of the 80s what Ichi the Killer was for wacky Asian or Japanese, more specifically, genre cinema of the early 2000s because mm-hmm. Ichi was readily available on DVD. It was a lot of people's gateway into kind of bizarre Japanese filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like it kind of, it, it has a kindred spirit in that. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it, and I hope that they can acquire more insane action films like this. Like, you know, like I said, I would love to see you know, Lethal Hunter or, you know, some of these films that are still kind of gray market Rambo or some of the stuff from Indonesia or even the American stuff like um, there's a great Miles O'Keefe one where he's uh, he's a, an airplane pilot um, <laughs> and he's smuggling drugs. I want to say it's called Contraband. He wears like the James Dean red Rebel Without a Cause jacket. <laughs> oh, fuck. What's it oh, called? He, he gets double crossed and, and or, or even something like Action USA, which I'm a big fan of. Yeah. And yeah. I, I'm, I had Zach and those guys have to know that film. But anyway. You know, that's well, not to, do, to to denigrate this film. Yeah. This is a tremendous piece of work. But I, th- I think you bring up a good point, though. I don't think it's the stabilizer. No, I don't think it's, it's those type of films. But I think that has a lot to do with Indonesian cinema. Uh, I yeah. think this is uh, Korean cinema by way of American financing. Um, I would like to see some more Richard Park stuff. I've seen L.A. Street Fighters. I think you have, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the one. I think it's got Superfoot Wallace in it for a brief moment. Yeah. There's one I really want to see that I haven't seen called American Chinatown. And the oh, reason, I've never seen that. Well, the reason being is because not only does it have Bobby Kim in it, who we've been trying to see some Bobby Kim it's, stuff. It's so funny you say Bobby Kim because I kept watching this and I wanted to see Bobby Kim show up. <laughs> but it has Robert Zadar in it. Oh, man. Zadar has worked with the park. <laughs> That's amazing. And, you know, you can tell, say what you will about sort of the kitchen sinky and the earnest earnestness of... of um, of YK Kim and you know how how kind of um, obliviously earnest the film is, um, which is part of its charm certainly. But I think there, there's a very competently made film in terms of there's no boom mics in the way. You know, it's competently edited. The action, while the people in the film had certain limitations, mm-hmm. everything is choreographed um, competently for the level of the skill of the people involved. Right. Well, he had made like 15 films before Miami Connection. Yeah, Richard Parkhead, and he plays Uncle yeah. Song. That's right. Um, the great cook <laughs> that has an Italian restaurant that only serves Chinese food. I, I don't, and gets fucking Jack every <laughs> night of the week. Yeah. Um, but he he's he. So he had done stuff. It looks like uh, looks like he worked in Thailand a lot. I'm guessing these titles they don't look Korean to me. They look Thai, th- uh, you know, <laughs> they look Thai to me right? because I cannot yeah. pronounce them for shit. I'd have to look and see. I can take a look when you're doing your stuff. But, but, he, but he worked with Bobby Kim quite a bit. So I, I definitely want to check out some of these Bobby Kim joints. Because Yeah, we've, man. We've the heard Korean nothing, Charles Bronson. Yeah, we've heard nothing but these things about Bobby Kim. So we got to check these out. But yeah, I, I agree with you. The film is competently made. And it's almost like over the top in a way. The message is earnest. And you mm-hmm. can't really complain about the message. But the execution <laughs> is 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 you know it's not questionable i wouldn't say but it's 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 ham-handed it is but you know you, you it's hearts in the right place so it's one yeah. of those things yeah. where you know you can't um you can't fault it for that um Ooh, gang justice with eric estrada 
That's another Richard Park joint. Uh, yeah, I'm going to look into him here in a minute. But uh, then we get satin members only. I didn't even know members only made satin jackets. I don't know. Last week we got leather. This week we got satin. I don't satin. Know it's uh, pretty incredible. So this film, it really should be called more accurately Orlando Connection. Yeah. Yeah. Because this isn't, as you heard in the song Friends, which is an amazing piece of work, uh, this isn't southern florida's hottest nightclub it's central florida's <laughs> yeah hottest and, nightclub. and they go to the university of central florida which i don't even know if that exists no but that's where they go uh and they let you know that because they all wear the shirts every time they're in school um which is amazing <laughs> it's amazing but yeah it's got the miami connection now miami and orlando they possibly couldn't be further apart from oh. each other <laughs> these titles are very much korean titles yes <laughs> yeah the ones that bobby kim directed prior Oh, those yeah. are all those are all Korean. Okay. My my bad. I don't whew, tough to read, man. Yeah, they're they're a mouthful. <laughs> yes. To say I'm the least. With that. <laughs> I always have a problem. Oh man. Look at L, um uh fuck, what's his name? I gotta see more Philip Ree films. I know he was in LA Street Fighters. Yeah. Talk about oh, yeah. tough tits, man. Oh yeah, no, yeah. Philip Ree's good in LA Street Fighters. Best of the best. Carl Carl Breson's a big fan. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, man. Um but uh, this film, I think, you know, they took the Miami thing. Because you have to realize that 87, Miami, Florida was both the apex and the nadir of pop culture, cr- criminal activity, and everything. Yeah, even Italian cinema was there in the 80s, remember? Yeah, that's right. A lot of the great Terrence Hill and Bud Spencer stuff came there. A lot of the post-apocalyptic stuff was shot there. Yeah. So, you know, it, it definitely was the spot. Um, what's interesting about this film is in some ways this film could play for kids, right? But then you get bizarre moments like decapitations, limbs being lopped off and bloody, man. That's the, to me, that's the most bizarre thing about this film is the ultra violent nature of it. Mm -hmm. I don't understand. I mean, I know there had to be violence. Maybe they wanted to sell the film, but man, it, it go, it's, it's horror movie violence. Mm-hmm. It's not. Uh, it's not even ninja violence. It's not even action movie violence. It's horror movie violence. Yeah, there's some pretty nasty, you know, stuff in it, especially well, for the film of its kind. Yeah, they linger on stuff, and blood just spurts out, almost like <laughs> it's like. I spurt. love when guys get their close up when they get stabbed. It's like ah ah. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> and then and then you get these other this juxtaposition of the, um, of the uh, the YK Kim character who's this you know teacher and stuff who doesn't want to do anything but twist people's noses with his toes and shit which is a really bizarre (laughs) turn but then you know you turn around you got a decapitation and you're looking at the stump of somebody's body for like two ten seconds Mm -hmm. it's it's really a weird mix yeah it is a weird mix another weird mix is um richard park mixing um satin white satin ascots uh as his 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 greatest accent to his motorcycle gang's outfit. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's awesome. It's amazing how he shoehorns himself and is like the or not not why not Richard not Richard Park. Um, fuck, I gotta look him up now. Are you talking about YK uh, Kim? Or are you talking about the leader of the Ninja Gang? The leader of the Ninja Gang. I can't remember his, what's his name. Yoshito. Uh, uh, C uh, C Show Yoshito. Yeah. yeah. Uh, C C C Y Joe. <laughs> yeah, C Y Joe. <laughs> CY Joe. There you go. His only film credit. Yeah. But he, he you know, he, uh, like, uh, what is it, Icarus? He flew a little close to the, too close to the sun, I guess. But um, what's great is how, you know, 
you can tell they totally had some like uh, local biker games like hey can we shoot a few films a few scenes with you guys and it just sticks out like a sore thumb how he's he's trying to be butch as like the leader of his motorcycle gang oh god yeah and some ugly tits oh man there are some flapjacks in this film (laughs) oh my god and that's another thing that adds to the kind of bizarre um, it's so just such a juxtapositioning, so juxtapositioned with the earnest kind of we're orphans, we're friends, say no to drugs of the film. <laughs> oh, it's so fucking weird. It is. It is. Um, with Florida, I would say they missed the cigarette boat uh, by not casting Harold Diamond. Yes, yes. Even though it locks in the uh, the one uh, actor Joseph Diamond, Joseph Diamond, yeah, yeah, who plays Jack, who has <laughs> oh forgive me, I hope I never have to interview Joseph Diamond or whatever you want to say his name is, or I hope we, I mean, I I wouldn't mind talking to him, but this this might sound mean when I'm getting ready to say he delivers dialogue at that picnic table at one point that is the most fucking oh, atrocious <laughs> and comical acting I think I've ever seen. It, it it might be – I think it's a prime example of someone who just couldn't remember their lines. Like You can tell as he's saying his lines that he, he's he's praying to God he remembers the next two or three words he has to say in that line. He does, you know, he does an audio commentary on the disc, and I can't even listen to it. It's him and YK Kim. I can't even listen to it. Oh, man. I got to hear that. Um, but, yeah. Um, so then, you know, the, the film's moving and grooving. It's rocking and rolling. Yeah. And uh, New dimension of rock and roll. New dimension of rock and roll. And and now we get um, we get Steve Carell. Uh, what was that movie, Dan in Real Life? Yeah, yeah. Fucking Jeff looks like Steve Carell, man, with the he beard. Does. He has some bad teeth, poor Jeff. Well, that's uh, why he's got a beard, man. Yeah. Oh, no, no, not, not Jeff. I was talking about the other guy. But, uh, you know, Jeff. Oh, with our main, our main squeeze. <laughs> yeah. The that, main squeeze that, of... Uh, the songbird of the drop dragon sound. <laughs> fucking goober. But, he's got some teeth on him. You know who he looks a bit like? He looks like a bit like uh, he's a love child of um, of uh, Telly from Kids and Michael Phelps. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Fuck. It's <laughs> two things I didn't think I'd think of today. Um, yeah, Jeff. Uh, let's let's talk about Jeff. How awesome is Jeff? Well, Jeff's so awesome that <clears throat> he knows that you can bring a shark tooth. <laughs> Right, you you can bring a shark tooth to the table, but motherfucker decides he's going to switch it up. He's going to bring a saber tooth tiger tooth, and he's going to put it on a dangly earring. So oh, it's amazing. He really it. Oh, he really brings it. He's amazing. He's he's one of these guys. You know, he's he's a hairy dude, mm-hmm. and uh, he's got the beard and stuff. And he doesn't he doesn't look like the leader of any gang. No. Like, if you put his gang together, there's like 10 other people in his gang that look like they could potentially be a better leader, just by looks yeah. alone. He's he's the kind of guy that, you know, he's up in the building and our main, like, our main hero throws a knife into his chest and he, he falls down from, like, a, like a, a steel beam or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's he, the guy he looks He's like. great. I love, I love his uh, dialogue in the film. He's got some great dialogue in the film. And uh, I just love, you know, his, his uh, camo outfit at one point is pretty amazing. It is amazing. He's got a pretty good wardrobe. Um, I love that Dragon Sound, you know, they're the house band. And uh, what do I have the word shiftless here? <laughs> no idea. Oh, shirtless, shirtless. Oh, yeah. um, the guy who wrote Friends and wrote a lot of the music for the film, who's the least, I think the least competent martial artist, is that he looks like a cross between a skinny Rick Rude and, of course, John Oates. Yes. 
He does. And I think they hired him for the music capabilities. Mm-hmm. And uh, he really gets picked on the most in the film. Um, he does, man. <laughs> he really women takes, and men. Yeah, no, I know he really takes <laughs> he really takes a pounding from the women and the men. And uh, but that's you break up an interesting point. There's hardly any moment in this film, hardly any moment where at least two characters don't have a shirt on. Yeah. Well, even, why would even, they? Even in the female, <laughs> even in the biker scene with the flapjacks, there's two women that show their flapjacks. Yeah, it's insane that Richard Park is off camera somewhere going, you know what the scene needs? You got to take your shirt off. Like every day they showed up, it's like, okay, whose shirts, whose skins? That's right. Well, everyone wanted to be skins, but there's only so many skins to go around. (laughs) I mean, almost every time you turn around, there's somebody without a shirt on. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) It's true. You know what's great about Jeff, too, is that he plays his relationship with his sister, the songbird of Dragon Sound. And it's ironic considering, you know, a few miles south, uh, and the drug trade that his boy Tony, I was gonna say Tony Monero, Tony Montana had a bit of a, a jealousy thing with his sister dating someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and what were you gonna say? Uh, no, I was, I was just sitting here thinking about Jeff's uh, hideout. Jeff's back cave is in a gym, so it's a pretty amazing gym, too, which I'll get to in a minute. But the club they perform in looks like Frankie goes to Hollywood, but more white and awkward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks it looks like the kind of club like people that actually have like taste would walk out of. Yeah, it's true. Um, white K. Kim and company used the 90210 school of casting, including for himself. The least group of um, convincing group of college students ever. Yeah, and mostly conv- and convincing group of musicians. Yeah. Oh, yeah. YK yeah. Kim playing guitar is is a sight to <laughs> behold, man. Well, that and, and the black, I think it's the black dude. There's some vigorous keyboarding in this. <laughs> there is, and he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. He doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. Um, <laughs> I like to, in the songbird, I, I can't remember her name, but she, you know, Jeff comes to the club. and Her name's Jane, and, man, because Jane. at one point a teacher's in her class. Hang on. <clears throat> I had to clear my throat. At one point, a, a teacher's in her class, and she's working on computer programming, which was really hot in 87, right? Oh, yeah. And he comes up to her and he goes, hiya, Jane. Great circle. <laughs> nice. Nice. I missed that. Oh, God. Nice. She, she's, um, she's got some. Uh, she's got a great uh, caboose and some legs on her, though. Yeah, she's not a bad-looking girl. And I got to say, as much as the music, again, is earnest, it not the performance of them as musicians, but the music itself, it's competent. It's catchy enough. Like, it's not terrible. No, no. It, it's just very much of its time, but it's, it's enjoyable enough. Yeah, no, it, it's, as a musician, I can say it's well-written. It's not, you know, it's not barn burner stuff. But if you no. consider when it was written, what it was written for, it's perfectly competent. Yeah, I would agree. I love when, uh, well, I think it's Jeff, he says to his sister Jane, um, when he, oh, yeah, this is when they meet at Central Florida University. When Jeff meets uh, the Phelps, the boyfriend, I can't remember his name either, but when uh, Jeff, he looks at her boyfriend, he goes, where'd you find this son of a bitch? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he just comes right out with it, don't he? Yeah. There's a lot of scenes in this movie, really odd scenes where people just kind of go right at it. Yeah, they do. They just go for the gusto, man. Yeah, the club owner and the ex-band, which those guys don't look like a band at all. (laughs) No, they look like a band of construction workers. That's what they like. That scene is also infamous and on YouTube because it just it just goes. The club promoter <laughs> that's that's almost doing the Yojimbo esque thing of playing these two sides against each other for musical supremacy. 
Um, he looks like a less attractive version of Paul Hughes yeah. from our boards. <laughs> yeah, he, the red <clears throat> and he also has uh, his own special form of kung fu. He does, man. <laughs> he does. Um, Jane wears lace, which I asked my wife. I said, man, I'm glad lace isn't a thing anymore. Lace yeah. was in everything. Wedding dresses, everything. I know. There was a lot of lace back in the day. A lot of lace and a lot of hot licks from the John Oates character in this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, buddy. He's great. I can tell you, Kim yeah, Kim and Park, they evoke another guy who was very much of Miami at the time, the Michael Mann Wet Streets. <laughs> yes. Yes. Which is great because that's when you get the irate house band, the battle of, you know, they bring the term battle of the bands to a whole other level. <laughs> but that's incredible because I think, you know, one convention of thuggery in cinema that we never bring up that I think is just as prevalent as the switchblade is if someone has a fucking chain wrapped around their hand, they're trying to smash a windshield, they're whipping a windshield with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that in the uh, open beer can, you know, they got to pour oh, the beer right. on another guy. <laughs> well, what's great is because some of the, some of the guys lean in to get the beer poured on them. <laughs> it's like, oh, fuck man, I don't want to shoot this scene again. I want to make sure he gets my head this time. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, they knew it. They called it. I mean, because I think Oates says, th- but this was after I think the beer gets poured in their head. He goes, "This doesn't look like the welcome wagon." <laughs> I gotta, I gotta ask though, and and maybe our <laughs> listeners can answer this, and maybe you can. Is this our first film with a henchman wearing a Coca Cola shirt? Oh man, <laughs> I know. Amazing man, amazing. All oh, those fucking Coca Cola shirts, man. Fuck me. <laughs> Uh, someone at that point too, they were wearing a sleeve, sleeveless Canadian tuxedo. <laughs> I can't remember who it was now, man. Oh, but, uh, yeah, it's great, man. It's great. You know, what is this? A shirtless with something guitars. What do I have written there? I don't know. Shirtless with guitars, but, um, oh, you, you referenced this at the beginning of the show. Great line from YK Kim. Like I said, it's my favorite subplot in the film. <laughs> Where the black dude gets a letter in the mail, which that is probably the height of the the thespian work in the film with the with the black dude, because there's a scene later on that they really this scene they really hang him out, which I love seeing people twist in the wind in bad films trying to act. Oh my um, god! Oh my when, god! It's uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable, and yet you cannot look away. Oh, it's so good when or uh, Wacky Kim says, "I didn't know you had a father. I thought we were all orphans." Well, he, of course, has orphans because of his, his Korean accent. But um, the black dude, he's and they have him cry on film for like two minutes. And he, they're trying to have him deliver this teary monologue. It's amazing. And he's not wearing a shirt. He's not, he's not, none of them have shirts on. They're all woke up. They're playing grab ass in their house. and He's wearing pants. And he's got the button fly open a little bit. You yeah. can see his white underwear. Yeah. He's like, hey, guys, I'm going to take a shower first. That's cool. It's almost to paint a picture. It's almost like if Lamar from uh, the, the Trilams had a bit more of a Jerry curl and a mustache. It's embarrassing. It really is embarrassing. But it's one of those scenes. It's it's special, you know. And of course, the famous scene is my father. Oh my god! You know the uh, yeah yeah. What does he say? Does that what he says? Oh my god! Oh my god! Yeah, he goes. Oh, oh my god! god. <laughs> That's amazing. <clears throat> but uh, wow. that scene's just as good, the scene with him just kind of twisting in the wind, as you said, oh, because they God. really just, you know, Park's doing him no favors. No. What's great, too, is I watched the interview about how that guy got cast, and he's like, yeah, you know, they needed a couple guys that were working out, and I was one of the guys. And I was like, <laughs> really? You were one of the guys, man? You got a bit of a gut, and, the, you know, those tits aren't too tough, but, you know, it was the 80s, I guess. But, yeah. you know, they take us to the beach. They're frolicking at the beach, and... 
they, they just they're filming everything for coverage kids playing see, see that's another weird moment though man it doesn't seem like it fits with the whole taekwondo you know they go to the beach and all of a sudden they're these horny dudes it's becomes very much like the 80s Miami sex comedy, right? Like, you know, it's it's frolicking in water. It's, it's hitting weird. the biceps and dancing. 80s bikinis at their worst. There's yeah. make-out sessions. There's just, it's you know. We- it's weird. Uh, this is a weird moment in this film. I mean, they're literally riding down the beach in the in their drop top. Uh, our, our John Oates-looking character is literally dancing and slithering around like a snake. Nobody's going to oh, yeah. sleep with this scumbag. No, he's awful, man. He gets pushed into the girls, and they're like, they're even hitting him, and he's taking beatings. Um, there's another, there's a henchman, to bring it back full circle now, to um, the Batcave of John, of Jeff. There's this one dude, he was just the worst. He was this motherfucker, he had a leather confederate hat on, <laughs> no shirt. And this isn't so much a gym in the sense of building muscle. This is a gym where you, it's basically like a street fighting gym, yeah. where you learn to street fight. Yeah, yeah. That so. scene with the three henchmen where they're oh, making fun man. of Jane when she comes in. Oh. It is fucking atrocious. <laughs> it was very much like, you know, freewheel it. You guys improvise. Let's see what you got. <laughs> oh, man. It was very much like, hey, I'm not American. You guys do some American kid jokes. Yeah. And I'll just throw them in there. <laughs> yeah. And they're awful. <laughs> they are really. They're like embarrassed. Like you, you're embarrassed for them. Yeah. It's great. Um we get a really bizarre Taekwondo demonstration, which has some, may, no, not even maybe, the slowest knife attacking in history. Oh, man. That scene, that scene, and like I say, the scene that follows that are some of the most uh, interesting things in this film to me. I mean, they're just, what the fuck? Yeah, it's it's pretty insane. And that's followed up, of course, with someone, I think it's um, Michael Phelps. He says, stupid cocaine. <laughs> says that and and then what somehow during that whole scene when they're talking about stupid cocaine stuff they go yeah man how about a world tour <laughs> a world tour because that's when your boy diamond says this is where all the they're all where they're from and you know kim says we can, we can go to korea and they go no they go we can go to europe we'll start with korea we'll go to ireland and then diamond goes and we'll visit my homeland israel <laughs> It's just amazing. I'm holding back from laughing as loud as I want to laugh because my son's asleep in the other room. I'm no geography major, but I, I don't. I didn't know Israel and Korea were in Europe. <laughs> the one out of three ain't bad. Well, uh, you know, I kick him, man. He's he's into his Taekwondo, but geography ain't his bag. Ain't his, in his bag. I would have loved to have seen a sequel where they do that. Dragon Sound is on a world tour. Oh fuck, me too. Oh man, <laughs> fighting punks across the world <clears throat> would have been amazing. Um, I don't remember if it was the black dude in Dragon Sound or if it's another black dude, but there's one black dude in this film. I'm not lying; he has the shortest shorts I've ever seen on anyone in the film. Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. The white, those white with shorts with the red yeah. trim. That guy, man, I'm su- I'm not I'm not even joking, man. Like I'm surprised his dickhead didn't peek out the bottom of those shorts. <laughs> I don't know how it couldn't have. I also I actually almost thought for a minute to pause it to see if it was poking out because that, yeah, those are ridiculous. Like they were shorter than underwear. Yeah, they were, and they were tighter than underwear. Yeah. yeah. Ridiculous, man. Ridiculous. So this, this we get both knives that we love on this show. Mm-hmm. We get the switchblade and we get the butterfly knife. Yeah. Always got to get the butterfly out. Yeah. Uh, and there's a scene with the butterfly knife where, where it's accompanied with an eagle crying in the background. <laughs> I don't is, I don't know what the hell that is. <laughs> I don't know. I know. I know what it is. It's amazing. Um, 
But yeah, the the, uh, the skins versus skins uh, at the wooden skid and corn sweetener factory. <laughs> the wooden skid factory, man. Shit goes down at the wooden skid factory. Yeah. Let me say this, man, about Jeff too, man. At one point, Jeff is so tough. He's such a tough dude that he rocks a hat for an outward bound school that's somewhere else in yeah, Florida. For Colorado, I think. <laughs> that makes no fucking oh, sense whatsoever. God. Yeah, I know. I saw it. That was amazing. The Colorado outward bound. What is that, man? How fucking badass are you, though, that you can come into a scene <laughs> and you're rocking that hat and people still know you're the fucking leader? You're the man. Um, At that point, he's ditched the saber tooth, too. It's weird. Yeah, he, he takes it off for a bit, you know. Mixes it. Oh, he's, he's, he's got, you know, diversifies his portfolio. Um, the dude with the leather Confederate hat, he, he sticks with that through the film. But at one point, he brings the, the quarter shirt back to the show, yeah. which is amazing. <laughs> and and I got to say, quarter shirts are like a pussy old man. That guy chickens out big time. And then he does these weird moves. Like, that guy's the worst, man. I fucking wait. I could not wait for that guy to get his nose busted. Yeah. Oh man! Oh. Did he, what does it say? Well, riding to oh the music in that scene where they're fighting, it's almost like this Vince Neil esque song. It's called "Tough Guy," I think. Yeah, it yeah. sounds a bit like early Motley Crue, man. It does kind of, yeah. Now that I think about it, um, definitely like yeah. Air Rock at that time. Yeah, yeah, but the guy's voice was a bit, uh, a bit Vince Vince Neil. Yeah, we get the saddlebags we talked about and flat biker ass and. Fat biker ass and yeah, strange. Um, the the water tower. There's a scene with like the the water tower, and it's more like the water tower party in Dazed and Confused. <laughs> it's really bizarre, you know. We, and, and another convention that gets brought back: the kung fu chop to knock someone out at the back of the neck. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh, uh, at that scene, you know, because because Dragon Sound's really bringing the thunder at that point. We get a lot of Iron Mike Sharp esque yelling. Yes. Yes. Uh, YK Kim likes to yell, man. He loves to yell. And he loves to be shot in slow-mo yelling. <clears throat> yeah. And he's got a bizarre face because his face, he almost looks like two different people when he's doing He almost this. looks like an older man. Like he looks older than he is. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's got some wrinkles around his eyes. I don't think he slept much. I know making this film, the poor guy, I mean, he put everything into making this film. So he was doing 18, 20 hours a day. So God bless him. Yeah. I mean, I mean that truly, without a hint of irony. Like, no, yeah, that's, that, that's why I say, you know, we'll joke about the film because it's very much of its time. But I have the utmost respect for him and everyone that was involved in this because it was clearly a, a labor of love and a passion project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was definitely that. They, you know, they they really believed in what they were doing, and I think yeah. that's what makes it so great. I think it's what makes it special. I agree. The heart that's put in, and then like I said, the earnestness and the heart <coughs> really make it. Uh, mm-hmm. I gotta get through these because I know you got a you got a lot to say too. Um, uh, oh, he must not escape the Miami Ninja. That's a quote in the film. <laughs> you know what's really I, weird is like the back end turns into almost like missing in action, like four or something. It's like they yeah. shot it in like some weird park or something. It's really yeah, it's really insane. You know, there's there's oh, you know what's great too? This the whole father subplot is because then it, then we go into some really you know down and dirty territory. Um, is when uh, the black dude finds his dad and he's like, I found my father. And there's this weird slow-mo, like, you know that really um, iconic shot of Vince Lombardi being carried off the field by the Packers? Yeah, it's strange. They pick him up on their shoulders and they're they're kind of carrying him out of the off the lawn. <laughs> they're so pumped. They come running out of the house without shirts on. <laughs> and in fact, uh, Oates is wearing just a towel. It's <laughs> amazing. Um, you know, yeah, we get the gang. Um, 
Oh, Jesus. But the gang, what's this? Motorcycle Riding Ninjas. Pretty great Matei-esque death for a good guy. Oh, yeah. The the action scene at the end is Matei yeah. all the way. I mean, it's, it's a lot of screaming, a lot of swords, a lot of just <laughs> insanity, a lot of water. <laughs> a lot of water. It's a rare turn, too, for the white ninja to be bad. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a strange touch. Um. Well, first Pretty of all, I don't know how much ninjas are really in. I guess ninjas are the arch enemy of Taekwondo. <laughs> apparently know. so, man. Um, pretty amazing running slash yelling to synth music with sword in hand montage. Yes. <laughs> at the back end. It's weird how nasty it gets at the back end, but th- those are all my notes. Okay. I only got a few more things to add, really. You went over most of it, and I just kind of peeped in whenever I could. But, I mean, I... Coca-Cola shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's a scene too where Jeff is walking with Jane or John or whatever who it is, whoever's walking with Jane, his girlfriend Jeff, I think. No, not Jeff. It's fucking John. He's walking <laughs> with Jane. Everybody, look, dude. They're they're called John, Jack, Jim, Jane, and Jeff. That's, that's the name of the people in this film. Okay. Nice. Uh, but John is walking with Jane, and in the background, there's these people, and I'm wrote a note saying, "Holy fuck, were people still dressing like this in '87?" <laughs> I mean, seriously, dude. There's like zipper shirts. Oh, there's zipper pants in this too. <clears throat> I know it's amazing. I'm like 87. Seriously, so it's really bizarre. <laughs> um, yeah, the club scene with the former band. Is, I mean, holy shit. I mean, you motherfucker, you son of a bitch. You don't know what you're talking about. It's it's ridiculous. That you delivered that line like the big fat dude in uh, Deadbeat at Dawn, where it's like, <laughs> "I'm the craziest motherfucker you've seen in your whole life, man." Yeah, no, it's just insane. Um. And there's one point this the the, the ex band guy the ex construction worker band they sh- they show up at Jeff's place and he's like hey man if you give me my job back any money I make is yours and I'm thinking oh, this, this guy doesn't quite understand business at all does he you can he's like we'll give you everything every dollar we make is yours how, how fucking bad do you hate Dragon Sound <laughs> Jesus oh. and Jeff's like okay. <laughs> you know this fucking this, this band man you know <laughs> and and the great thing is that the leader of that band he he i think it's him he rocks a fucking noose around his neck yeah yeah he does as like a fashion as like a fashion statement <laughs> yeah it's it, it, there is some true like 80s homoerotic stuff going on no oh, doubt yeah. about that the house itself is like this weird bungalow where no women are ever there <laughs> <laughs> it's like a bathhouse like in the <laughs> 70s or something <laughs> Well, Oates is always coming out of the fucking shower. No one ever at in any given scene with the housemates, the roommates, only one of one out of four will have a shirt on. And it's weird because it's usually YK Kim that has a shirt on. It usually is YK Kim. You're right. I was going to say the same thing. It's almost always him that has a shirt on. But it's like he's surrounded by all these people who yeah. take their shirts off at all times. Yeah. It's just a really bizarre choice. And uh, it, the, the, the homoeroticism isn't there like in the smacking of asses or stuff. It's just the gleefulness of being a boyish kind of yeah the kind of gleefulness of being shirtless around your buddies i guess i don't know i don't know if i was ever that gleeful being shirtless around my friends but these guys are just totally excited about it yeah and uh, i love the scene where they're eating uncle song's food too they're all just just chowing down like a son of a bitch man oh yeah just tearing it up (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i have to agree with you the back end's very strange uh the way it gets so hyper violent it's just very weird because of the message of the film but then when i think about it a lot of the stuff's really strange i mean they they i think they just kind of it's one of those things where they didn't really know how to make a movie so they just kind of threw everything in there and the kitchen sink is that kind of filmmaking with the hope that something would catch and they could sell it 
and get YK Kim's message out there. Because yeah, his, they're going to slip the message in yeah. <clears throat> amidst everything else. <clears throat> because his message is there all the time. But, you know, they looked at the films of 86 and 87. You can remember the films of 86 and 87 had a lot of the shit in it. It had drug deals and Uzis and questionable clothing. <laughs> Beach comedy, sex romps, you yeah, know. All that stuff. Music, people in <clears throat> bands, people going to college in bands, practicing Taekwondo and fighting ninjas. <laughs> you know, they, they covered all their bases. They didn't want to leave anything uh, hanging out there. So I think it's an interesting <sighs> amalgamation of like all that 80s cinema and that YK Kim, it's kind of a smart business choice really in a way. It's a shame that the film never really got released and it didn't really make him, I don't think he really ever netted him anything, but it is an interesting choice as a businessman to kind of go this route because it's actually kind of, if you want to reach the widest audience, it's actually kind of smart because, you know, you want to cover all your bases, and they kind of do that and stuff. But I agree with you. I mean, the message, the earnestness is there. The message is there. Sometimes the execution is lacking. But that's, you know, Richard Park is not the – he's not the greatest – I mean, L.A. Street Fighters is amazing. But he, he has a thing where he does a lot of his storytelling over narration mm-hmm. or characters talking. But, you, you know – Exposition. Yeah, they're not talking, though. Like, it's like he, he edits the scenes together, and then he writes the dialogue afterwards. It's almost like old, yeah. like old school filmmaking. Yeah. Because LA Street Fighters is the same way. There's a lot of scenes where our heroes are riding around in a car and they're riding down main highways, and but yet the dialogue is like me and you talking right now and they're telling the whole story <laughs> while they're driving. So you don't, in case you in case you get lost, we're going to tell you everything. So it's kind of ridiculous <laughs> like that. But it, it's, it's, it also has one of those gang fight moments on the street that's fucking GGTMC like you wouldn't believe. I mean, it's just amazing. Some of the oh, guys. It's it almost plays out because it's at nighttime, like the orphans sequence in the warriors. Yeah, it does. It does. It's really bizarre. They all run and then they, you know, sometimes they get caught and they stop and they fight and, and the fighting's not, that's another thing about this film. We should say it's competent, but not a ball buster, right? It's not something you're going to show your friends and be like, dude, you got to see this action scene. This is insane. Uh, this is more like a movie. You show somebody and say, dude, you got to see this movie. It's fucking insane. Yeah. Because it doesn't have those action beats, you know. But and you know, for what it is, it's it's a lot of fun, and I, I and I, I enjoy watching it again. I mean, I had seen this a couple of times, and then uh, you kind of reminded me of it when you kind of would post about it because uh, there was YouTube clips, and I think the full film was on YouTube for a while, and we had talked about covering. I think Rupert's a fan. Oh uh, yeah, he was one of the first guys to champion <laughs> it. I know of, mm-hmm. and we all kind of would talk about it and stuff. So it's been a long time coming to to recover it because. It's actually amazed me that we've taken this long to cover both of these films, Rabbit Dogs and Miami Connection, because honestly, they they scream uh, everything we talk about on the show and have fun talking about. So, um, yes, I don't have a whole lot more to say except the 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 uh, end sequence. Of course, it's awesome because you know it's freeze frame title card. <laughs> it's it's another one of those great freeze frames that you know it's just a classic moment. <laughs> and you can if you look at the freeze frame, if you watch that scene closely. The guy that plays the, uh, you know, the, oh, my God, my father. That guy, <laughs> he's looking around like, uh, what the fuck are we doing right here? <laughs> he's looking at Mikey Kim. He's looking around, and then they freeze frame right when he looks at the camera. <laughs> but you can tell he's, like, totally confused. He doesn't really know what the fuck's going on. Uh, it is it is interesting. I, saw, I watched some of the special features. I watched the making of a little bit. It's pretty interesting. And I also watched um, the kind of Dragon Sound reunion. They had them at the Alamo play their oh, songs I didn't see that i didn't see that yet and uh what's amazing is they went full out like uh the old guy angelo Gennati, 
he's actually playing all his music and singing like friends and stuff like that. But like YK Kim and, and the guy, the uh, black actor, I think his name's Maurice Smith and uh, all those guys, they're all up there doing the same thing they did, you know, 20 years ago. So I just lost will on air. You guys just heard it right here, right now. All right. Lost you for a second there. Whoa. What's not amazing was that Skype cut out when you said what's amazing is. Yeah. Well, what I was going to say was what's amazing is that, you know, everybody's up there. Janati's uh, actually playing the music and stuff. And there's some actual real musicians in there, but everybody else is kind of faking their their playing still. And why came and they and they and they, in this reunion they do the toe thing again. They do the toe to the nose oh, thing. Oh man, that's amazing. Uh, that's a shitty thing to be signed on for in a film. Have some dude <laughs> squeeze your nose with his fucking in between his toes. <laughs> so you know, I think that what's important with Miami Connection is it's a celebration of this type of cinema, um, yeah. which I think. You know, a, a big chunk of us, a big chunk that listens to this show, and a big chunk of people that work at like the Alamo Draft House. Like, you know, if you guys have listened to the interviews with Zach Carlson and some of these guys that Broop has done, uh, these are kindred spirits, uh, mm-hmm. people of the cloth, as Tom Jane says. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting that uh, you know we we this 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 culture grows and grows and grows, and that you know more people get to see this stuff. I mean, if you told me Miami Connection was ever going to be on a Blu-ray, would have told you you're nuts. You know what it is? It's people like us who 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 come to positions of power, um, and have the ability to put this. Like, th- there was an article about this in like Entertainment Weekly. Like, it's so strange to see that, but it comes back to the thing we talked about, where horror uh, film has become mainstream, drive-in cinema, and '80s video because of our generation of people being in in suits and studios and and it, it working for um, um, labels and stuff. It, it it's incredible to see this stuff come to, like you said, like Blu-ray for my, who would have thought it meant? And it's, it's a wonderful thing that, that people, like you said, of, of the cloth, like us, uh, are able to do this stuff and put this stuff out for everyone. Yeah, and celebrate it because it should be celebrated. I mean, yeah. uh, not all the great films are made by great filmmakers. Sometimes the great films are made by guys that just wanted to give it a shot. So, and I'm not yeah. saying this is a great film. I'm just saying it's a special film. Well, it's great in the sense, um, it's great in the sense, you know, how does art move you emotionally? And I think that's something people, everyone in our group understands is that, you know, you don't need to have um, Shadow of a Doubt or, you know, The Magnificent Ambersons or whatever, fucking, you know, uh, any Bertolucci. I mean, you don't need to have that to be, you know, considered a wonderful film. We understand that the happiness we get from watching something like this is as great a reaction and as worthy on our DVD and Blu-ray shelves alongside the eight and a halfs and Akira Kurosawa films of the world. Right. Right. And yeah. I sometimes hear people say that, you know, they don't like to watch films ironically that the, the films like this are the reason why they're celebrated is because we're watching them ironically. <laughs> I don't, I don't agree with that statement. I don't think we are. I think we're celebrating this type of cinema and and a bygone era. I mean, yeah. listen, is there a little bit of it that's ironic? Sure. But we're not dismissive of this stuff. We love this stuff. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's the way people should look at it. Um, you know, I think it's, you know, it's easy to poke fun at it, obviously, but it, to be yeah. honest with you, I could sit in a room with anybody and even poke fun at the most serious movie if I wanted to. It's just oh yeah. It's like a lot. I could, I could have poked fun at Shane. Yeah. You know, you're looking at a time capsule. You're looking at a different era. And when you see, that time capsule of a specific era in film, it you're looking at something culturally, for right. better or worse. Right, right. 
yeah, this was a, this was a great time to revisit this. I'm glad we waited in a way. Uh, we should have said the Blu-ray looks good. Uh, the film's a little scratched up. Yeah, it's not, stuff. it's not it's not a remastered disc or anything like it's that. It's not Speed Racer. Yeah, no, it's not Speed Racer or anything modern for that matter. But it looks better than I've ever seen this film look. I've always seen it in like uh, ruddy VHS rips. Uh, never really seen it uh, this clear. So I was pretty impressed with that. And I will say to one thing, one deterrent. It's not like we we've just praised the film for its craziness. One deterrent I will say is that there are some serious pacing issues in the middle of this thing. Yeah. And a lot of filler. Um, yeah. You know, after like the third montage, I was about ready to <laughs> choke somebody out. Uh, because some of that stuff was lasting like, you know, five and six minutes. That's a long time for a montage, man. Especially for an 83 or 87 minute film. Yeah. So, I mean, there was some filler that I didn't really care for. I, I just really wanted more interaction with the characters. But again, this is a first time opportunity to write for YK Kim and, and the Diamond Guy. And, and they, they didn't really know what they were doing. So, you know it's interesting uh, it's, it's it's really an interesting piece of cinema history that's all i'll say all right we'll see your make or breaks and stuff awesome i do want to say before i forget people go out and this this is <clears throat> whoa <laughs> i'm having the same problem this morning yeah. by the way. uh this isn't pantheon uh, i will say that some people will think it is it's just a touch below it's like an intercontinental champ not yeah. quite you know it's stabilizer the, lady the, terminator it's the tito santana yeah <laughs> Nice. absolutely <laughs> not quite 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 there but it's it's damn worthy of your money and i hope all of you go out and buy this because the only way we're going to see um action usa and um god final uh, score final score final score and and you know all these films put on dvd and blu-ray legit is is because this is a business is to see them do well uh as far as revenue goes put your money where your mouth is buy these films this film i would say in some ways is more important for you to buy than your big studio films, your Batmans and everything else. And I love Dark Knight. I'm going to buy it. But if you have to make a decision right now, I would implore people to buy films like this because the only way we're going to see more of these films come out through Alamo and, and these these companies, Severin, these companies that are taking chances on these little um, films from one, uh, from yesteryear, I was going to say from Wonder Year, um, is if they're bought. So please buy these films. Um, make or break the, <laughs> the father orphan stuff. <laughs> It's my favorite stuff. It's so earnest and just, yeah. oh man, that two minute crying. I love crying from non actors <laughs> in films. Oh man, <laughs> this is this is up there, man. Um, my MVT is Kim's dedication to this film. The blood, sweat, and tears he put into this. The around the clock hours, his earnestness, his positivity, his message that you know Taekwondo and and you know don't do drugs and all that stuff. It's so hard on the sleeve, sincere. You know, God bless him for that. You know, uh, my score for the film is a seven point seven five. Um, like I said, it's not quite there, but it's damn good, and it's one hell of a ride. And I've, you know, I've seen this film maybe two. This is probably the second time I've seen it in full. Um, <laughs> and I, I probably am going to bring it to my dad's house on Christmas Day nice. and see how long it'll stay on the Blu-ray player in a room full of people. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, I make a break. I'm. Uh... I'm going to go with uh, oh, an embarrassment of riches. Uh, there's too many. Both these films have too many scenes for different reasons, but they have too many scenes to really pick <laughs> one. I'm going to go with the uh, the street fight. The, the street fight. It's pretty amazing the way they get picked on and 
the way people show up and stuff. And like I say, that X band, I don't know what kind of X band. I don't. I like to see them performing. I like to know what kind of music they played. <laughs> My MVT. Uh, I'm gonna go with the whole, the whole of Dragon Sound. I really just nice. love the seeing all of them on screen together, and oh, their yeah. camaraderie <laughs> and their and their shirtlessness. Uh, it's just it's just there's it's just a fun group of dudes to be around. They're they're both cheesy, um, eccentric, and uh, earnest all at once. It's really amazing. You were yeah. right. Everyone was even uh, everyone. Everyone gave their heart, and so they, they all were, were. No one was was um, was dragging ass. Everyone put their heart into this yeah. film. You're right. Yeah, because <laughs> there's a great scene too where like uh, Wacky Kim's walking around the house, and it's like he's going to every room to check on everybody like a father. Yeah, and he's checking on uh, our John Oates character, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm just wrote this new part in this new song. What do you think?" He's like, "Oh, that's really good," you know. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah that's right. <laughs> the YK Kim stuff is pretty. Con- I mean, if you want to, you talk about your uh, your Christmas story with the Fara Ra Ra Ra's. Yeah, I mean, it'd be easy to poke fun, but again, like you said, the no, you can't. Saying, it'd be a dick move, man. Yeah, it would be. Although mm-hmm. I, I have to say, the Orpin is hilarious. That yeah, it's hard not to laugh when he says, "I thought we were all Orpins." Well, it's because the, in the context of, of again, earnestness, right? Yeah. yeah. This is the way he says orphans. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, my score's just a little bit lower, and you're 7.5. I agree with you. It's not quite Pantheon. It is very GGTMC, but it's not like the the ball. But it's like Final Score. Final Score wasn't quite Pantheon, but it had, like, moments that, you know, we thought, well, fuck, you know, this will fucking blow people's <laughs> mind. That last action sequence of Final Score. With the, the rocket launcher motorbike with <laughs> Mitchum. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Never seen anybody do anything with a motorbike quite like that. No. Um but it, it has the moment stuff, but it does it is a GGTMC aesthetic. It's it's definitely there. Um it's it's an amazing piece of cinema. And I'm just glad it I'm glad it's out there and I do agree. People should support it, get it out there. Because uh films like this, I, I would like to see more films like this released. I really would. Oh yeah, we always say, Oh, I'd love to see you know, uh, I'd love to see the the making of or a commentary track for something like Rambo or, you know, whatever. Well, if you buy these films, then you'll get to see more of that stuff because Draft House will do it. And then being a copycat game, other studios will get these low budget actioners that just gonzo films, um, you know, like some of your Roth Rock stuff that's not on DVD uh you know, whatever. I mean, that's what we need to do. Now, there's a wealth of riches when it comes to. Uh- oh, Low budget action films not being released on DVD, so even Steel Justice, man. I know, I know, it's amazing. There's just, there's so much stuff, and it, I, I, maybe it's just not its time yet. Maybe we're ahead of the time, or maybe a lot of us that love this type of cinema are ahead of our time. But I'm hoping that one day, you know, stuff like this will be out there and and really celebrated more than you know. I mean, I know Commandos, like you know, that's like the Citizen Kane of these type of action yeah. movies in some ways. <laughs> but uh, yeah. it would be nice to. Uh, you know, to have some of the other stuff out there, like Still Justice and, and Miami, now Miami Connections out there. So if you told me the Still Justice would, the Miami Connection would make it out before Still Justice, I'd be like, whatever, man. You're crazy. Yeah, yeah. All right. So that's the big show, man. That's that's everything. I just cracked my knuckles like a son of a bitch. Nice. Um, I guess we're running late, uh, which was, I guess, to be expected. So again, no pleasantries. Check out all of our friends, though. They do great work. Um, DiabolicDVD.com. Support them. They're one of our sponsors. They've always been good to us. Uh, great to us. With that being said, um, I think on behalf of Sammy, I do want to wish everyone, whether you're listening to this before or after Christmas, I hope you all either had a very Merry Christmas or you have a very Merry Christmas. Exactly. Um, we're so blessed to have all of you in our community, 
your community, our community. Um, and we hope this time of year, whether you celebrate Christmas or not, it's a time to be with family. And, you know, uh, I hope Santa's good to you or whatever you practice, faith or otherwise. Uh, and I hope it's a good time of year and a very happy new year to everyone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I not, you know, want to echo that. I mean, I definitely want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas, regardless of what you celebrate or what you don't. Just a happy holiday, so to speak, and enjoy the the time with the family. And if uh, not, the time with us on the air, if you're listening to us right now, mm-hmm. um, just enjoy it. Uh, you've got one more show for this year, and uh, we'll be into a new year, going on to our fifth year, which is it's just crazy. insane. It's just amazing. But, uh, you know, we, we've always appreciated having you guys around, and uh, oh, yeah. we always will. So the community just keeps getting bigger. Every time I look at the Facebook group, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. I, I'm just flattered every day. So It's amazing. And trade in your J- your Justerini and Brooks. Trade in your JMB this time of year for dark spiced rum and eggnog. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> nice. All right, uh, what do we cover next week? You want to? Uh, you, it's your pick, your Boulevard Movies pick. Yeah, definitely. So I threw up on the boards about a week or two ago that we were going to be covering a Jules Desem film, and everyone guessed everything but this film. So we're going to be covering a film, an interesting film he did in America, uh, right on the heels of the Martin Luther King assassination. Uh, it is, you know, considered, I guess, in a roundabout way, a black exploitation film, and that's of course uptight. Uh, it's the Blu-ray. We're going to see a lot of great African American actors in in some performances, whether it's Ruby D or or others uh, that are in this film. So I'm very excited to cover this. I've never seen this film. Um, I've always wanted to. So it's uh, it's going to be very interesting to talk about. Yeah, it's inter- it's an interesting choice, and uh, it's actually a film that kind of stands out in his filmography quite a bit. So yeah, it does. I mean, I forgot how many great films he'd made when everyone was ramming, ramming them off. Um, yeah, when they were trying when they were trying to guess, it's like ten or eleven great films in there. Yeah, no, you he, know, he made quite a few. Uh, and one final thing, kudos to, and I'm really proud of the National Film Registry for including uh, this year The Spook Who Sat by the Door, a film we've covered on the show, which, of course, we're big fans of. Yes, yeah, it's an important film. I'm glad yeah. they put it up there. All right, so that is everything. As we say, guys, we will see you next week. Until then, we usually say one other thing, but until then, we'll say Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Here and we 
all having fun. Santa brought presents for everyone. But he had to squeeze to a chip before Nicholas. What a horrible place to pass. Why not open your window or your front door? So Santa could bring his gifts. I find that climbing on a rooftop and coming through a chip is a whole lot of stupidness. Move him from the North Pole because it's so cold. Give him an apartment with modern equipment. I made a butler. He deserved better. Sure, we love to dare Santa Claus. Drinking beer, whiskey, and rum for Santa ain't getting on. And his jingle bells, jingle bells, they're up. Santa goes wearing the same old red clothes. We should be ashamed, we should be blamed to treat Santa Claus like a brute.